The Fremen were supreme in the quality that the ancients called Spannensbogen, which is the self-imposed delay between desire for a thing and the act of reaching out to grasp that thing. From The Wisdom of Moadib by the Princess Irulan. To Spice World, an inebriated exploration of Frank Herbert's Dune. My name is Derek. And my name is Mike. With each chapter, we open up a new bottle of wine and have a bit of a buzzed book club, Derek. Woo! Mike, we're back for the 32nd chapter. 32! Cruise it along through book two. I think after this, we have about six chapters left to go through. Oh, serious? If, if not, in, might be including this one, actually. Is that why we bought six to white go, wines today? That is why we bought six <laughs> white wines, and we get a little 10% discount. Yeah. <laughs> if you fill that back up, we get it. Got to capitalize gotta, on that. Got to know the right people, Derek. <laughs> yeah, yeah, rub some elbows. Yeah. But what do, what do we got for a wine, Mike? All this right. one's all you. Chateau La Ram. Ram? 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 Ramy? I'm, I'm saying Ram, and it's the it's a Harkonnen wine. Uh, oh yeah, it's going with like their, house, their house sigil. Savon Blanc. This is uh, it says Bordeaux, product of France, 2019, and uh, looks like imported by Rosenthal Wine Ma- Merchant. Uh, each wine bearing the Rosenthal Wine Merchant mark has been produced in limited quantities by a dedicated artisan. The growers with whom I work. Uh, whoa, whoa, mm. <laughs> no, they got really into the girls with whom I work follow traditional methods to produce their wines in a natural manner, in as natural a manner as possible. First time we read this, don't worry about it. I'm cutting this. <laughs> it's fucking terrible. <laughs> all right, all right. Get me back to get back to solid ground, then, Mike. <laughs> oh, shaky. So when I first read this, yeah, uh, there's no real like notes on it for tasting, but I did uh, I did misread it because the label is soaked because I've been mm-hmm. using. The, we yeah we're we using met, the we Sarah met, method. Started with some warm wine and this we're morning. Getting, we're getting better. Hey Sarah, he didn't use bounties this time. <laughs> didn't use bounty this time. <laughs> there was Claude. It was okay. It but, was okay. Uh, it might have been there a little too long because the towel was frozen onto the bottle, and I saw you really trying to work that off. It, yeah, it, it came off. It was like a pulling a dress over its head. Um, I, I, I averted my eyes. Um, <laughs> no. I felt wrong. It felt wrong. But uh, no, it, it uh, first time I read it, it said that. Uh, the ones I select are unfined and unfiltered. Therefore, you may find that sediments form in the bottle. And this is where I misread it. It's like, this is a natural occurrence. Where I'm just like, this is an unnatural <laughs> occurrence. <laughs> like, oh, that, that doesn't sound good. Should I be drinking this? I don't think this is a bottle of wine. <laughs> oh, no. Why is it bubbling? <laughs> oh, God. What'd you do, Derek? Those are the scrubbing bubbles that scrub so you don't have to. Whoa. Yeah, let's take a look. It's yeah. got a weird smell to it. Oh, yeah. I, I do don't say. Ooh. And that smell will carry over to the taste. Are you sure? A little bit. It's on the back of the palate. (laughs) Give it a sip. But like, so it's not much. It's really subtle. But then it sort of like grows in the back. And it's, um, I don't know. It's Oh, you made it sound like it was going to be so much worse. This is super pleasant. I wouldn't say super pleasant. Yeah, no. I was I was trying to tell. I've tempered this down a little bit. Really? Uh, I'm moderate. It's not like bad, but like I'm not right. crazy about that flavor. I don't I don't really find it appealing. Really? Yeah. Hmm. It's not like very sweet. It's just kind of like 
like musky. Yeah. I, I don't know how else to describe that. I think it smells worse than it tastes. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll agree. It smells bad. <laughs> it definitely smells weird. <laughs> but uh, no, I like it. All right. I think it's enjoyable. And that's uh, Chateau Lorraine? Uh Yeah. That is awesome. Wow. Throw that one in the wine cellar. Throw it into the wine cellar. It's all yours. Uh, Derek. Mike. We got a quote today. Oh, my, we have a, we have a, I think this is uh, one of the first foreign languages in a quote that isn't like Arabic straight up. Yeah. Did you get some German dropped in <laughs> on us? It was very, it comes off. Uh, so I played it in the audio book before I sat down to read this one. Just, just so you the, had some idea of how to no, pronounce it's just it. just the way the week worked out for me. And oh. uh, when Irulan goes in and reads that one, it, it doesn't roll off her tongue very smoothly. <laughs> she doesn't have the German accent. Um, so it stands out like a sore thumb. But what what you what you think of it? How did uh, how did it apply to this chapter? Self imposed delay between desire for a thing and the act of reaching out to grasp that thing. Do you think this is relating to Paul and sort of his new uh, his new terrible purpose rules that we've sort of uh, figured out? Oh, I see. I don't. No, I think it's the other character is in the scene. Oh, I think this is like a Stilgar Jessica thing. There's a lot of tension there. There, yeah, and they both wanted something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but they were. One very much ex- is it uh so is Sponsenborgen, yeah that is the delay so yeah that is what they were exercising where neither of them were like going to immediately go for it they kind of do this circular dance around they, yeah. without ever mentioning the exact subject which is like hey uh, are we gonna get married <laughs> like, uh, nope <laughs> guess not yeah no just uh the fact that Silgard does not act on impulse. He's very calculated. Yeah. He thinks about... Well, to the point where Jessica was impressed. Yeah. I'm just like, how is he doing this? <laughs> You're not Bene Gesserit. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think it would apply? Did you have a, a like string to attach it to Paul with or an idea? No, just the idea that like now that he knows even the slightest uh, grain of sand shifted creates this oh, odd butterfly okay. effect. I, get I think it the now. idea that now I think he's very much more aware of the fact that like anything I do or don't do has a profound effect on everything around me, including yeah. myself. Yeah. I think, and so I think that this is something that uh, maybe, yeah, Silver and Jessica definitely uh, have. I think Paul's about to learn it pretty quick too. Yeah. I, I think like the, the scale of risk of them each exercising it is so different with like yeah. Jessica and Stilgar and eh, not too much. Paul's tripping balls on LSD. Yeah, yeah. When Paul is exercising that delay, it changes the future. Yeah. And, like the scope of it. So that is, that is a good uh, application for that. <laughs> From the wisdom of Muad'Dib. Uh, I, I would I even. Think this is uh, a new book actually. What's up? From the wisdom of Muad'Dib. Ooh, is that a new one? I think so. That sounds good. I'm done with that. Yeah. See, Irulan just pumping them out. We <laughs> She's got, got to, it. Uh, do you, I wonder how, I wish uh, we knew what order they were kind of published in. <laughs> like, did you think she's the breadwinner in the uh, Reno household? Uh, I mean, I can't tell you that without revealing stuff, <laughs> oh. like, I mean. Uh, okay, don't tell me, don't tell yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's not writing these books right now. So. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I don't know. She's only 14. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But wherever she ends up, we know that she, I think she's independently wealthy. <laughs> uh, that is what I'll agree to say. <laughs> Everyone needs a side hustle, Derek. Mm-hmm. She's got hers. A little bit of spice, a little bit of books. <laughs> it's good to be a Bene Gesserit. It's good to be a Bene Gesserit. Oh, but man, we should have shirts. It's like, it's good to be a Benny Jesuit. <laughs> we get there. We're not, at, we're not good at the shirt stage yet. I feel <laughs> we're working our way up there. There isn't too much of a demand. We're going to buy like $500 in shirts and be like, ah, what do I do with these now? <laughs> wear, them. wear them all. Yeah. See, that's where I need to, I need to practice this, uh, this is bad in 
for what? <laughs> so I don't just like impulsively buy all, all these, these things. All this merch. They're like, I Derek, have... I don't have a plan. <laughs> but all these shirts say Bene Gesserit? <laughs> Question mark. I don't know how to spell it though, so hope <laughs> for the best. Gotta be better than your Gamjabar. <laughs> you go to hell. I know it. Now, you follow me. Let's go to the Cave of Ridges. Because ah! that's where our chapter starts off. All right. We've been journeying in the desert for a while now. We mm-hmm. just uh, did our crossing. Uh, we were at Turno Basin last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, we crossed with the Fremen during the day. We're now at Cave of Ridges, where we're looking over at Sietchtabar. We're so close. We're like 12 kilometers away. Yeah, and we can see all the little Fremen out there. Yeah, too. but daylight's come up, so we're stopping, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we get to a point where Paul is moving through and going through like another basin. They have to literally turn sideways to navigate through this. So like that tells us too, like there's a little bit of a, there's some weight regiment among the Fremen. Mm. Uh, Cause clearly everyone could fit through that gap. True. But that is going to be a natural process of in place so hot and mm-hmm. you have to work so hard for everything. Well, I imagine there's not like a ton of food or, uh, I mean, water. Yep. They pretty much have what they have. You don't really have anything in surplus. Yeah. <laughs> it's very dire straits. They're not water fat. No, no. They make fun of them. They water shame people. <laughs> they water shame people. <laughs> so uh, Paula asks uh, when they get up to it, a couple men go and climb higher up through and everyone else is going through this doorway that Stilgar is kind of ushering them through. Mm-hmm. Paula asks Chaney, like, uh, what, you know, where are these guys going? And she tells them, like, that's the first day watch going up there for us we know that is born and bred in these guys from when they were on bella Tigis. and the fremen said rather than sunni never again you post a watch 24 7 no matter where you are no matter how peaceful it's been mm-hmm. and even paul like watching these guys go up things like oh that was very smart yeah but then he like he keeps going with it's this like, idea but like we should have really done it in like small batches or small squads going up to this cave instead of all at once mm-hmm. we should have se- separated yeah. and divided us up so if one band was attacked or brought upon like we don't lose the whole he, he catches himself too yeah. this is what my dad was talking about yeah yeah do you think uh what do you, how do you think that thought is for him like i don't think it's like very I think mournful it's interesting cuz it's uh he remembered his father's fear Mm-hmm. That the Atreides might become a gorilla house. I think his father just knew at that point that they were going to have to be a gorilla house. Well, I think he realized. No, no. Yeah, I don't think Paul's dismissing that. Yeah. But I think Paul is more accepting of it. Whereas, like, he did see, like, the fear in Leto mm-hmm. when Leto talked about it. Leto was disgusted by that. We know Leto would never run. Right. Because he had the option. <laughs> and he is just like, no, we're staying. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's a, a little difference in character there. And I think Paul is way more adaptable than Leto ever was, which right. I guess, I mean, that's probably indisputable. Uh, I don't think, I think we'd be on the same page there. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do like that catch and how Paul is, he's definitely changing and he's sort of accepting his new station. I well, like this. The first thing he Derek. learned is that he could learn Derek. Indeed. And then he learned <laughs> silence. Oh, you hear that, Brian? <laughs> no, no. So you're really going to milk that joke dry, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Until he apologizes. <laughs> Until knows he, he apologizes. He knows what he did. <laughs> So, uh, Chaney, like, Paul's sort of lingering at this uh, back door there, right? So, Chaney tells him, like, faster. Hmm. And uh, Paul, he goes up and he speeds up his steps. And he's reminded of a little uh, a line from Yui's uh, tiny OC Bible. Yeah. yeah. I love how he has to say that it's tiny as well. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Which I'm like, I don't think we ever did before. Well, I mean, it's always oh, no, small, we did. but... We, it's, I mean, it's like... Uh, yeah, yeah, but when he first got it, I don't think he remarked on how small it was. He just starts, like, kind of flipping yeah, into Paul, it, Yeah, you're right. He? Paul didn't, like, really remark on it. Uh, but now, yeah, we got to call it the tiny OC Bible. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's paradise on my right, hell on my left, and the angel of death behind. He rolled the quotation in his mind. And we got the... We- Back to the Surat. And I mean, I definitely think uh, Paul read the entire thing and I think he yeah, memorized yeah. all of it too. So, and uh, is this, um, no, he, he brings up another line later on where Jessica's like, how did he learn? Or no, is that's not even in this chapter, is it? Uh, no. I think I'm conflating a future yeah, chapter. I, I think you We're tend gonna, to do that. I think you mentioned something about like seeing a mirage. Uh, yeah, Kermit I realize that. This happens this chapter. Yeah, 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 I'm sorry about that. Yeah, that's all uh, right. I mean, like, I think you revealed more than I, I thought you would on that chapter anyway. So it was totally like, oh, I still fine. I still stand by my worm. Uh, we're good on <laughs> that's that. That's fine, that's fine. You gotta go. But uh, I am this one... We've gone like through this phase where clearly, you know, we were alternating chapters, mm-hmm. right, with uh, different uh, characters, and then before that, we had so much different events happening where Paul was learning the environment. Then you hit this point in book two where it's like we've really slowed down. We're just spent two chapters now within mm-hmm. the same like kind of continual moment. That doesn't happen often, and this is why these like uh, it's actually going to happen next chapter as well. So okay. these three chapters for me are like one big scene. And that's gotcha. why I'm going to mix up little bits, but I tried so hard not to. Uh, the Mirage no, understandable, thing understandable. Um, and so Jessica is going to bring up, though, because we talked about wondering if Paul ever read the Bible. Jessica, in a future chapter, is going to, Paul's going to remark, and she's going to be like, wait, he never studied the, like, mystical arts or whatever, or, like, the, my- like, the mysteries is what she calls it. <laughs> Paul's been moonlighting. <laughs> right, but it weighs the thing. of like, wait, so did he read the whole book or not? Like, how do we think about, I definitely think he did. Mm. And especially like walking away with the Surat. So it's just interesting. And then that Jessica doesn't know that he did. Right. Or she's totally oblivious to him having access to this Bible. But going back more to this quote with the Surat, I love this imagery of using the Surat for a band of Fremen traveling across the sand. Yeah. Where that is the danger. And it's being in the open, Mm -hmm. which is sort of ironic for what a bridge is. Uh, while they're out there, they're like, this is the riskiest portion of everything. I, I think it's more interesting, though, like applying the Surat to their current situation, mm-hmm. uh, especially as they're traveling in a line through the desert of Dune. Mm-hmm. On their left is hell. On their right is paradise. And I think that's, in a way, representing, like, on the... You know how he, he talks about his trocular uh, view of space and time mm-hmm. i think this is a little bit uh reminiscent of that as well where to his left in what, he's yeah, certain, in what way? um to his left i think it's the present in this situation the dangers of dune okay as a whole on those right like the possible future where this could be a paradise mm-hmm. and behind him is past the angel of death like there he just lost his father the entire trady house trady's house is gone except for him more or less yeah, no, I, I like that kind of using just the Surat imagery for him walking that prescience yeah. of just like, yeah, grasping for that one line that you can walk that doesn't tip you into either or, right. or something. Yeah, that is really good application for that. I feel like the Surat too, I mean, in uh, for Paul himself, like with his prescience and his terrible purpose, takes on a whole different meaning as well. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, and it, that's sort of the whole point, too, of, like, yeah. when you read that line, it hits him so much harder than it would anybody else. Yeah, Because yeah. it, like, reverberates almost through I've, all these different aspects of him. Is it weird where I feel like Paul will really actually take, uh, find a solace in religion, even if it's, like, 
maybe not exactly a one to one, but there's some maybe idioms or axioms that he can just like look at and relate it to himself and develop it into a completely new. I don't want to say proverb, but like new, yeah, sort of a, an awakening, if you will, an awakening. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, because we know that the the Fremen's religion sort of like spreads. It becomes the basis of everything within the Imperium. It's at gonna, some point, it's gonna bloom. Yeah. Is that? Oh man! So well, no, I, I mean, don't run, don't run too far with that. I was gonna okay. more to go right to your thought. You had a really cool thought there. Okay, um, and I like this idea of like maybe it's that Paul religion to me is sort of like us trying to define this unknown right and make it uh, understandable, even though it's so beyond us. I'm, and I well, hold on, just within those descriptions, mm-hmm. Paul actually is in that special unknown. And I think for him, it's like all these words where we're sort of like uh, choosing flowery language and using imagery. For him, it's like a little more real and literal Mm -hmm. because he can see that mystical realm in a kind of manner. Right, right, right. Um, So I like that. And so, yeah, maybe religion is going to give him some sort of like comfort that it wouldn't for anybody else. I I totally agree. I mean, in a way, I'm saying like Paul kind of relates to God at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like... Surat, am I right? (laughs) (laughs) Sort of like leaning on his shoulder, cup of spice beer in one hand. I mean, God built the Surat. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, I think that's how it would be. Surat, I'm right. Gets you every time. New (laughs) t-shirt. We don't actually sell t-shirts, so don't come asking for us, please. They're all t-shirts that require an explanation. That's what it'll be. It'll be a quote on the front, and then like a novel on the back. <laughs> yeah, that references the yeah. glossary, <laughs> page and such. That's fantastic. So, and it, can I move on from there? Is there anything Please, else? Please, yeah. Stop me for the love of God. Stop me. This train is wild. Okay, we go into this cave. Boom, we're past the Surat. Um, <laughs> inside, it's sort of dim, and Paul can make out uh, a faint light down the edge. Mm-hmm. And so this is where we get. Uh, you had asked if the. Fremen had suspensors, and so they got glow globes. They do, right. they do carry them with them, but they don't activate them on the sands. But it's like they were carrying these right. all night long. I mean, if you activate them on the sands, you can see across the dunes for miles, probably. That's probably just as good as dead if there's any sort of patrol that happens to be around. Oh, but I mean worm. Oh. The Holtzman effect. That was the that was the big thing we were talking about with Wait, that. Wait, do we know if it's just the Holtzman it? effect for sure or if it's just the shield and planar aspect of the Holtzman field? We Oh, uh, are you, like, trying to put a difference between... I don't know. I think maybe the catastrophic uh, multifolds of space. Maybe that's enough. Uh, that, that was from the Holtzman effect. No, of uh, the planar effect, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Uh, but that's what the suspensors use for their, like, anti-gravity right, right, effect right. field. So it's all, like, the same phenomenon. I think, uh, just based on what Jessica said, I think it would happen. I think it would call a worm. Right. So, yeah, we got this light down there. We got some suspensors with us. Uh, Paul sees uh, Jessica, though, and she is watching the Fremen mm-hmm. and kind of, like, evaluating them. And then Paul realizes, you know, like, she doesn't blend in no matter what. Like, she has the still suit on. She's got the garb, but still has all that air of nobility about her. And to me, that really emphasized like that stamp that training leaves on you that Jessica brought up uh, before. Do you think it's just that or do you think she's doing it on purpose? Could be a little bit of both. I mean, we have seen her have those thoughts where like she is summing up her like right. royalness to make herself stand out. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, could she be trying to play the role of like the religious woman at this right. point, right? It's hard to tell because 
she does have total control over her body, mm-hmm. but she has to be conscious of doing it. I've found because mm-hmm. her thoughts tend to drift. She asks herself like, Oh, why did I actually do this? I shouldn't have done this. I didn't really think about that. I mean, if she had perfect control. She never would have like tripped on the sand dunes or anything like, sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah. we had this talk before. We're like, I had sold it as perfect. And you started to kind of lose faith. I'm like, wait a second. They keep fucking up. And it was like, <laughs> I oh, think she's still human. Right. That, yeah. That's the point. And I do think we should constantly analyze what she's doing and why she's doing it because it's so hard to tell sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I guess if there's no internal monologue, we'll never know. And we'll just have to use our best guess. But I, I want to just keep an eye on Jessica and like how she does things. I like that. No, and I, I would lean towards her doing it purposefully here. Mm-hmm. Uh, just given the how the conversation with Stilgar goes right. and like kind of uh, grows. And I think coming from Paul's perspective, I think you're right because it is the fact that he notices that she is doing it with that air. Mm -hmm. And I mean, she just had to convince an entire troop of Fremen to like let her live more or less. I don't think it wasn't really a feint or a bluff. She she totally could have killed Silgar. Oh, she could have killed everyone. She could have killed everyone. Yeah, I think she would. Well, okay, maybe not everyone, but she would have gotten pretty far. Yeah. She would have had a dunk. Paul would have popped the couple off too. Uh, I think Chaney would have capped him right away. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Uh, He would have tumbled down. I think Chaney would have. I'm surprised Paul had no idea Chaney was there. Hey. I'm just thinking, I'd say, I want to give Jessica, I think she would get a tie in 19 uh, with Duncan. Uh, Or or he killed 18, 18 that time. I think she'd get a good tie. Uh, It's like he did on Grumman. And then go down. (laughs) Where where he first blooded on Grumman. (laughs) Yeah. That would be fantastic. Here's the thing. I don't really know that much about Duncan Idaho still. Like, we got his backstory. It was meh. Meh. It was meh. Okay. We got him for a couple times. Honestly, the only thing I remember him for is when he first blooded. Drunk in Idaho. Drunk in Idaho. Hey, you can't tell me you didn't make an impression. And he's he's a memorable chauffeur. Yes. yes. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> a guy can fly. A guy. Doesn't use the brakes, though. <laughs> so uh, back to us loading into this cave here. Paul evaluating everyone. Cheney comes over to him. Is just like, just go sit in the corner. Stay out of everybody's way. Essentially, calls a man child man or man child. And uh, she gives him two squares of food. Just like, eat this. And like, Paul kind of. Ernie's got cold sweats in his sleep. <laughs> Tossing and turning. They don't know what's wrong with him. He's been down for days. Um, and Paul eats these squares. And uh, this is where we start a little timer for Paul. We'll check back on him in a little bit. Um, Edibles, man. They hit you later when you least expect it. He just took his tab and he did not realize it. And he's just like, it's cool. It's cool. What what was that? Oh, it's food. It's just food. Awesome. Okay. Nom, 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 nom. (laughs) So Stilgar um, sort of moves in and he comes up behind Jessica and tells her like, hey, uh, we need to have a little talk here. Uh, Let me show you something, weirding woman. And he kind of leads her around the cave. I love that weirding woman. We, We still don't have names for them. No, but we do get a name for a guy who adjusts the glow globes. Yeah. Lemiel. Yeah, well, that's his Fremen name. We know that. But Paul and Jessica, they haven't been, like, officially given designations or names, really. Hey, in the time of the Mina and the Akko, Mike, when it comes, <laughs> we will give him a name when, when he's ready for a name. we get to the test of reason. <laughs> yes. So uh, Jessica follows Stilgar. They go into this little side room, which is really cool because it has like another opening in it. Uh, this big thing that looks over the basin on your way to Siech Tabar. Mm-hmm. And uh, she can kind of see the whole stretch there. It's about uh, 12 kilometers. And uh, I think it's like right at this moment is when the sun pops up. 
This is our mm. dawn breaks. And Jessica thinks about how it happens so fast because we want to hold back the night at this point. Or, um, yeah, we want to hold back the day, rather, because yeah. the night is so much safer. A lot is, like, our enemy. Uh, and so, like, this all the sun just sort of oppressively rises. I had a barren moment here. Ooh, in, what, in what way? This just made me hungry. Sun lifted <laughs> over the far escarpment, illuminating a biscuit-colored landscape. Oh, I do like that. And yeah. It's like, mmm. I'm yeah. a I'm a big biscuits and gravy fan. Yeah, so biscuits are great. I can see that landscape, Mike, and it's just missing gravy. <laughs> but that's that's par- paradise, Derek. <laughs> no, that is my paradise. So, oh, <laughs> gravy's on the left. Is that what you mean? <laughs> no, gravy's on the right. Okay. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I love that. Uh, and that kind of really lets you know where, where we are right now. There's like almost no, you know, there's no real green. There's no real variation hmm. when you're looking like outside of these basins, just that desert. Mm-hmm. And, uh, still are, he grips her arm, points across the basin and he goes there, there you see proper juices. Now, do you know what druses are, Mike? No, actually I was hoping you would tell me. I'm glad. Uh, cause that's not in the back of the book, right? No. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah. It should be. So, Druses are like an esoteric religious sect that sort of, I can't remember what they evolved out of. But, um, so later in this chapter, Jessica is going to say, you know when she goes into the Adab memory? She says like, oh, I need some Dar al-Hikman. I need some Adab. And she has this like, blah. So, the Dar al-Hikman is a word for a library. The library was established by this one caliph. That caliph is also the head of the Drusus religion. What? So wait, wait, wait. Okay, are we talking about like reality at this point, or are we talking about? Yeah, yeah. I'm mixing reality. And okay. Theory. So the Drusus. So the Drusus is a real religion. Is a real thing. Yeah. Okay. It's an esoteric. It just called me an esoteric religious sect. All right. That's I all I need to know. I don't understand what their beliefs are or how they differentiate. That's fine. Them, I just they, I just need to know that it's a religion and that they got a cool space name. Uh, <laughs> that is a so, pretty good space name. Then just later in this chapter, I just think Frank consciously used these both in the same chapter. Later in this chapter, Jessica is going to reference a library that was created by the religious head of the Druses. Oh. It's just a weird little circle. It's kind of a cool little thing. And I was really surprised when I got to, because, like, I looked up Druses first. Right, right, right. Okay, religious thing, cool. And then I would do this library, and it brought me back to that page. Like, wait, what? I was like, didn't do that. What? (laughs) Wait a second. What button did I press? What happened? Yeah, thought I messed up, but no, so that's cool. And uh, we'll get to the, um, I have a little thing on the Caliph that actually does all this when we get to her actually having the Adab memory. Um, But so that's what the Druses are. Love it. For us, that's going to be basically Fremen workers. Oh. So like they are individual people. And like, so Stilgar looking out, like those are his people. Now I want to know what the teachings of the Druses religion is now to see like what, why what they're called could, the, yeah, yeah like yeah. how, what's the similarity there? Sure, sure. And how it would fold into like, it must be Sunni in some way, I guess. I guess. If there's any continuity between it. But obviously okay. like the religious flux that occurs we, in the time is like wild. There, so. You know what we got to do here? What's that? We've had so many experts calling out to us, telling us how we know nothing about the oh, Orange I, Catholic I, I Bible. Forgot, I forgot I have this power. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> gosh, help us. Uh, if you guys know anything about the Drusus, let us know, and we'll follow up in another episode and be like, ah, oh, so-and-so told Actually us this. Yeah, that is that is a great idea. Yeah. I love that. 
Uh, and at the very least, we'll try to get back to it. I'll, still, I'll look into it a little more, too. Sure, uh, sure, sure. I, I think I bookmarked right. it. Tell you, you bookmark it, but <laughs> I want to hear back from our fans first. Excellent. So, Jessica, she can see these figures even at 12 kilometers away because they're, it's so clear in the air. Mm-hmm. And uh, But she just pulls out that oil lens, Mike. Ah, yeah, so I understand why you went with binoculars for that. <laughs> That's all I see. Yeah, but like when it talked about microns, I nope, just immediately dude, thought you won me over. And talk, we just didn't know what we were talking about, <laughs> yeah. but you totally got me on. I'm like, right. it makes so much more sense for a microscope. Right, right, right. right like right. that fine tuning. I love that. But she is. So he puts up machines looking at them, just like, oh, they're great little workers. Mm-hmm. And uh, Stilgar remarks that, like, hey, they've kept working. Uh, they don't usually go into the daytime. Right. Since the fact have. that they're still out means that there's no patrols nearby. Exactly. So that's a good sign. And that's also very intuitive, Stilgar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, it's probably a regular thing. Well, it would just, it's so, uh, I'm not impressed that he knows it, but yeah, you are right. Just for him to come in, because that's something right. he's, this is his, this is what he does. <laughs> that is what he manages. Well, I wouldn't have put two and two together, like, right away, if Stilgar right. didn't tell me. Yeah, 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 it's perfect. I mean, it's good to have the manager on right. board. Like, that's who we're traveling <laughs> with right now. That is his CH and his people over Still there. Stilgar's got a clipboard. Oh, yeah, they always, we yeah. always, we always meet someone with a clipboard first, <laughs> right? <laughs> um... Stilgar says, like, cool, we'll send them a message letting them know we're here since everybody's out and it's going to be so easy. And then uh, we're going to make our journey over there tonight. So we just got to wait for, again, sundown to come and we'll be home. Uh, to be home. It's going to be, Mike, I can't wait for us to get to see it tomorrow. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be your first time there. It's a really cool Ooh. place. Camp camp. Camp camp. <laughs> and uh, so Stilgar says, like, ah, they, they obeyed the preservation of the tribe. It is the way we choose among us for a leader. The leader is one who is strongest and the one who brings water and security like that. So that's like how you get that. naive. And that's really like what has uh, allowed Stilgar to stay in his position for so long. Mm. And uh, th- I like that the two things are combined, like water and security. Those right. are two separate things. Like who's going to call him out on that? Nobody. Like, yeah, he is the one who brings what we need in. And uh, this gets Jessica like some thoughts stirring in her head. And she brings up uh, the events from last night, mainly addressing like, oh, did I jeopardize like your leadership? Then, like, when oh, I, when I yeah, 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 yeah. Because that was a pretty tense. Moment. This right here is a start of just a very interesting dialogue between the two of them. It's yeah, probably one of my favorite in the book. I really enjoyed it. Here's something. Su- well, okay, we'll continue. We'll continue. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll bring it up when it comes to. It. Okay, okay. Uh, so Stogar lets her know that, like, look, uh, unless you call me out, sort of like you did no harm. Pretty much, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you played it rightly. And uh, then he tells her, like, he could still handle any one of them. And thus, so could she. <laughs> Again, bringing up his uh, ability to insult people. Yep. Those sand lice. <laughs> uh, yeah, there isn't one of those sand lice I cannot handle. Is sand lice a real issue in the desert? Ooh, good one, Mike. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't look that up. <laughs> I assume. I mean, maybe, yeah. Yeah, it must be. Well, he's just making it up. <laughs> <laughs> now, like, sand lice on the Arakeen Desert seem way more extreme than, like, normal. <laughs> That's just what the worms are. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, run. It's just a really small sand trap. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's wild. I don't know. I don't got a good answer for you there. Mm. Um, but like Stilgar continues of like, when you bested me, you bested us all. Now Ooh. they hope to learn from you the weirding way. And some are curious to see if you intend to call me out. Like, oh, I like that little, th- like, that's sort of like the political situation within his tribe, which obviously yeah. we've seen uh, Jameis is able to push Stilgar's buttons. 
but like still follows his command and doesn't challenge. I feel Stogard. like Jameis wants to challenge him though. There's like so like I we're doing Jameis's deep dive today. Oh wait, what? Yeah. Oh my! Everybody's got an article. I got a Jameis uh, article. But what's really cool though is it uh it gives some uh, implications for why he acted the way he did that night. Mm-hmm. So like that's what we're gonna dip into, and I think will be kind of cool. Also, I just want to say, uh, implications are to Jessica as terrible purpose is to Paul. We get so many implications. <laughs> Jessica's yeah. always thinking about implications or being like, I'm not going to think about the implications. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, she doesn't have the benefit of future sight. That's, so that's she true. doesn't that's have true. to weigh these I out. Feel, it's like, I feel like she always just like, uh, disregard the implications of what that means. She just always glosses <laughs> over it. I feel like she's allergic to implications. Like, Alleg- Lido's allergic, allergic to sleep. So Paul, getting both of those traits for them, he that's why he's just so fucked up right now. I, I'm into it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know Paul doesn't sleep. I know that. <laughs> well, I, we're done with worm theory now. I think I got most of it. Now it's Paul theory. <laughs> like this, we just need to talk to the trade. You want to do like family counseling? Family like, counseling. Yeah. <laughs> just like, guys, we need to talk. Gurney is a wreck. <laughs> <laughs> Gurney's just that mad Oh, uncle. Gurney's coming to family counseling. <laughs> he's, like, he's not invited, but he's coming. He's coming. <laughs> Duncan's driving them there. Yes. It's a big old ragtag, little Brady Bunch kind of deal. And Dr. Yu is the counselor. <laughs> Failing up. Failing up. Even in death. All right, so going on with this, Stogar uh, kind of tells Jessica like, uh, oh, and by the way, if you did call me out, no one would follow you. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, you suck at desert stuff. Yeah. You're really good at the weirding way, but like you're terrible at this. Right. <laughs> and she's sort of like this is like, yeah, <laughs> you're right. I, that makes sense. And then we get a great little drop of uh, some guild information, mm. mainly like the Fremen disposition toward we the get a, We get a solid double take from Jessica. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, like even, even having Paul told her that yeah. like, wasn't ready for it. And uh, Stilgar's line here is really great because he tells her, like, uh, um, we know our needs, but mm-hmm. not many are, are thinking deep thoughts this close to home. We've been out over long arranging to deliver our spice quota to the free traders for the cursed guild. May their faces be forever black. I do not like them. No. So there's two things I do want to pull out of there. Uh, the first one being that, that line of, uh, but not many are thinking deep thoughts this close to home, which is a really just cool coloration for, uh, uh, again, looking at the tribe and being like, they're young, you know, their families are right across the way. Mm-hmm. We're about to be home, be relaxed. Like they're, well, I think this, I think this comes from Frank Herbert's experience being like a journalist, uh, present within, I think was it the army? No, he was in the army. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was he was a journalist within the army. No, he was uh he was a worker bee. Uh he was on like this navy repair crew. Was he? Yeah. That's not what I read. Shit. I'm reading bad articles. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Maybe he wrote something on it. But yeah, no, he uh at least in World War II, okay. he was part of a unit and he was only in the war for like a year or a year and a half or something. Right, right, right. It wasn't a long time. But yeah. like it's enough to sort of like get the feel for the environment. The culture there, I like it. And are you saying like, yeah, we're like the boys coming back home? From yeah, I mean, like, yeah. I mean, it's just like when the 
the so, uh, the uh, Atreides soldiers were coming onto Arrakis and like the banter between them. I think definitely, that's definitely, the, and the Splint and Pill Man. Yeah, the Splint and Pill Man, exactly. But, yeah, yeah. I uh, think the banter dead on has to be like maybe something he verbatim heard. I think it, it was really oh, incongruous totally. to the rest of the book. I think this is totally coming from that experience, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially knowing, like, I think Stilgar says, like, our. our our troops have to get their rest because there will be no rest for them when they get home because their families are just going to be, like, all over them. Yeah, I like that one, yeah. too. Of like and the- that's the, that's a good viewpoint from the other side of the the equation there where, like, you don't think about, like, we think about the, the soldier forlorn, forlorn for home. We don't think about, like, the experience when they finally get home, how much everyone is just so happy to see them. I, and so, like, that I feel like, you mean that from, like, just a, even real world, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I was thinking even coloring just how we approach the Fremen as, like, these vicious fighters, these, like, native people. Being like, they're also just people. They're just people. Yeah. They got kids. They got wives. Like, you're just going, oh, they have multiple wives, I think, in some circumstances. I, th- I think I learned that from yeah, You picked that up? Yeah, so I picked that up. Families can be big. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> families can be big. You got obligation. But, yeah. Fremen are Mormons. I... <laughs> I just like how they, uh, hey, the Mormons had to go somewhere. Maybe <laughs> they joined the Sensuni. Arrakis. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like that. And all that is sort of like couched just in that one little line there. Yeah. And the second one you brought up. So then we can step out and we get there. They've been out over long delivering the spice. So giving us an idea of how long this one band has been traveling and the fact that they got thrown in this Liette mission of like... Because oh, that, that, was, that was a side quest, more or less. a side quest, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was just like, shit, we can't go just straight home. I, we probably got to make... they were like really a, close to home, too, and they're like, damn it, <laughs> I had to go back. <laughs> now you're like, yeah. get their water, yeah. let's go. <laughs> I, you know what? That's probably why they were just like, I don't let's go. I don't want to wait another day. Yeah. I was supposed to be home two days ago. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, uh, I bet that's what's going on. There's some good reasoning. So then we get to the last part of this mm-hmm. one. Their faces forever black. Any idea where that comes from? <sighs> no. So I didn't like we've heard this expression before. Uh, I don't think we have in the book. Have you heard it somewhere else? I must have heard it somewhere else. I feel, I think I've heard it elsewhere because it is sort of familiar. And so in looking for it, um, I found two biblical stories that could possibly be this. Uh, The biggest problem and the biggest thing that I ended up encountering was that it's basically the racist people misinterpreting the Bible somewhere along the line of history. Uh, But so the Bible is vague in what it does to these people. So one I'm going to tell you about is the Mark of Cain. And then we're going to talk about the curse of Ham or the curse of Canaan. It should be called the curse of Canaan though. Crawling the curse of ham is fucking stupid, curse but I'll, I'll get to that one. Not a biblical person, Mike. So when I got into this, I was just like, I, we need to do some revisions. Uh, this is all wrong, <laughs> but I'll make my point on Click him. Click your red pen. <laughs> so the Mark of Cain is uh, pretty vague, and I used the King James Bible, obviously, mm-hmm. looking for this. And it just says, so when Cain is pub- punished for killing Abel, mm-hmm. uh, God, like, uh, I think he, like, ruins his farm. So if any um, land that Cain tries to till, it, like, dies. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he banishes him to, like, walk the earth and says, like, if anyone, uh, no one will kill you. And Cain's like, well, what if someone does? And he's like, I will mark you. And then if anyone hurts you, I'll I'll avenge them you sevenfold. Right, right, right. Right? So that's just so he he puts a mark on Cain. That's all it says. And so through history, part of it's been derived of, like, uh, one one version I found – 
said it was like made in black and basically black of skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it was like the Syrian Christian kind of component, whatever based in Syria. Like you seem the net- unsure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I am a little bit of vague. I'm mm-hmm. just like the the origin of it was hard to pin down because again, they're like using the verse and then applying this uh, narration to it of like calling it. So I don't think it's the mark of Cain per se. Okay. The ham one was a little more straightforward, but a much sillier story. So (laughs) Cain and Abel, very straightforward, right? You killed your brother, you should get punished for that. Right, right, right. So in, uh, I think it's Ham is the son. Ham is Noah's son. He's like Noah's oldest son. Noah got shit-faced and uh, had (laughs) fucked his wife, and he's lying naked on the couch. Ham walks in, sees his dad naked. He's like, oh, my Lord. And he goes, he doesn't say, oh, my Lord. That'd probably be bad. But he walks out and he tells his brothers about this. Apparently, that's the sin. <laughs> you can't see your dad naked, Mike. So in telling his brothers about it, his brothers take a rod. They lay a cloth over the rod and they back into the room. And they back over their dad and put this cloth over him. <gasps> Noah, Noah wakes up and goes like, what the shit? I was naked when I went to bed. Cannon. And uh, well, then he like, he curses Cannon, which is Ham's son. So ultimately the grandson gets punished for the dad seeing the grandpa naked when grandpa got drunk and passed out on the couch. And they say that Cannon... His skin was turned black again, like his face uh, and the rest of him. But he didn't do anything. No, he didn't do anything. <laughs> and they call it the curse of ham. <laughs> so I got problems, <laughs> but I but I did it. I enjoyed it, obviously. <laughs> I like the idea that that's where black faces come from. Oh. But so then, like the worst part just is, is like all of them use it as a, an excuse to like look down on Africa. To like prosecute people. Yeah. Basically. And to like um, justify slavery. Like, um, right. oh God, you brought up the Mormons. Uh, I think it was Brigham Young pushed it of just like, he's the one who like uh, led the second wave of Mormonism. I was going to say like, I've just got a blank stare. Like I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, I think he, I want to say him, uh, I, I don't think I'm misinterpreting it, but like, uh, was like, that's why we should be allowed to enslave them. God has Jeez. given us a degree because they're, they're uh, you know, sinners essentially or marked with sin through and through. Uh, just silliness. Um, but I do think it is at least a biblical kind of reference. And then we look at it of like, I like this kind right. of, may their faces be forever black. Uh, and with us too, I think we can probably draw for the, like the navigators. Just how they are twisted and deformed. Okay. Of sort of like maybe that sort of way. They is. wouldn't know that though. Uh, well, there's always the rumor. Even Paul knows kind of the rumor. They're not human. And if anyone dealt with them more, more directly than anyone else, it is the Fremen. I don't know if. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. No, no okay. they only deal with the smugglers. Yes and no. I mean, they have a long history. They were transported by the guild from planet to planet. Okay, right? I guess that's true. So is it? are they, um, are they trading with Smugglers or guild reps? So the, the smugglers are the in-between. The guild reps don't get their hands dirty. Right. The free smugglers, which I love that title for them, uh, they're like the intermediary. They're bringing it up, right. giving the guild its cut, sending the managers right their cut, like however this gets uh, through the universe. Right, right, right. The imperial, he probably gets, much like Duke Leto was going to do, You know, he probably gets a cut off the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone's got spice flowing somewhere. Okay. Yeah, no. Yeah. But I mean, I agree. I don't think they've seen a, like a navigator per se. 
But no, definitely not. I'm just open to them having that kind of rumor going. I on. just don't think they know. Slash, I don't know if they'd care. <laughs> oh, just <kidding. laughs> like why? I don't know. Oh, I like that. <laughs> like, yeah, you just throw a little Nisky in there. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> All right, Mike. Last time I tried to hypothesize with you. <laughs> so, um, Ben Stilgar, uh, he confirms to Jessica that uh, Liette is the one who commands them to bring this uh, bribe to the guild. Mm. And that's to keep satellites out. So that does change yeah. the time frame of the deal a little bit for hiding the south. Right, because I think you made it seem like it was uh, a lot longer. Yeah, I definitely thought it would have been from, like, roughly when they got... It, like, from when they started hiding from the Imperium. Right. Whenever that was. Maybe not necessarily, like, 7,500, but sometime in between then and 10,000. But it seems like it's just been within the last, like, Probably, hundred years. I mean, once Pardot started things up, pretty much, I think. Right, right. And, like, I just don't know Pardot's age, so I'm just ballparking that. He probably lived to, like, 200 or something. With the spice life. Oh god, that, that's right. Yeah, it stretch spice. it stretches it out a little bit. You get a little longer. But still and he kind of tells her let's like, yes, we change it slowly but with certainty to make it fit for human life. And then continues on just like how they're not gonna see it, their children won't see it, the children of their children won't see it. Oh god, I didn't even think about that. About what? How old was Shadow Mapes? Oh, oh, on a spice know. diet. Pretty old, probably. I, I gave you her backstory. Yeah, we didn't have a year. I don't think the no. book gave me a year. Uh, she's up there. Centuries, probably. <laughs> Not like... You don't think so? Definitely one. Uh, I think it only gives you, like... an it Pardot's 200, but not Shadow Mapes, who, like, lives on no, the no, Spice no, no. World. No, 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 but we don't know when Pardot, like, died, per se. Right? Not what age, but I oh, mean, like, shit. No, he we, died we, prematurely. No, we could figure it out, because we know I have Kynes' birthday, and Kynes is 19 years old. Ah. There's, there's some bad, yeah. Two, I'll give you, I'll give you. Shout out was older than Pardot. I will concede that, because, <laughs> like, God bless Mapes. Yeah. Um, Double O Mapes. <laughs> Double O Mapes. Mike, I got a new cat. Oh. My cat looks like Mapes. We got a little rescue <laughs> cat. It is like a little old lady cat. She is so thin right now. We're plumping her up, but I love her. And I just can't help but see Mapes in her when she, she struts into the room. And just, Meow. <laughs> like, it's, it's Did you adorable. name her Mapes? No, I didn't have naming rights. Oh, <laughs> it's oh like gotcha. Roommate's cat. Roommate's cat. Oh, I Cass gotcha. I gotcha. Cat. So, her name's Almond. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> still like, I like, I'm going to call her Mapes so, to myself. <laughs> He's got to confuse that cat. So, uh, Stuttgart carries on, though. And uh, he stares with ve- uh, veiled eyes out over the basin. Mm. Open water and tall green plants and people walking freely without still suits. This is sort of him, like, enunciating his dream to her. Yeah. That's all he wants. And, like, Jessica now knows the dream of Liette Kynes. And I feel like for her, that was like the dinner scene clicking into place. Everything he said of like, oh, that was this, this, right. this, this. I she read into it, it correctly. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this is when we get the uh, mirage that I wanted to bring up last week, but I was uh, jumping the gun on. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's looking out there trying to see it like in uh, Stilgar's eyes, right? right. This thing, and uh, it's not clicking. She just sees desert. <laughs> right. Just like, like well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then she thought at first it must be a patrol vehicle, then realized it was a mirage, another landscape hovering over the desert sand and a distant wavering of greenery, and in the middle distance, a long worm traveling the surface with what looked like Fremen robes fluttering on its back. 
Mirage faded. And then Stilgar just goes, it'd be better to ride. <laughs> yeah. Stilgar's ride or die. <laughs> exactly. I think that's really, really great. And what a way to like introduce that finally is like the concept of Stilgar just being like, ah, oh, if only I could ride. Stilgar on his Harley Maker Davidson. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's like stroking the handlebar mustache. <laughs> like, yeah. Revving that maker hug. <laughs> he hit the <laughs> You get that fire to shoot out its ass. <laughs> That's what worms are for. Um, but Stilgar says, like, again, I think this is the same uh, way we said it before. Of when Kyle said it, we cannot permit a maker into the basin. Mm. Is exactly what Kyle told uh, yeah. Goofy here. Uh, Thus, we must walk again tonight, he tells her. And then she just, uh, Jessica's clinging maker, the word for worm. And this is like sort of a shock revelation for her, much like Thufir's revelation of warfare. She just had her mind blown of like the possibilities on a racket. Yeah. Of just like what the Fremen are able to do, the scale with which they are able to do it. Oh. Because they basically got a tractor trailer on demand mm-hmm. to get across the worst environment in right. the Imperium. So good. So, also something to keep in mind. So, in the distance, so that's the middle distance. In the distance, there's a wavering of greenery. Fremen have been hard at work. Like, there's, yeah. they're well, starting to terraform a little bit. Well, and what we're looking at, though, is even more so than Tuano Basin, even more so than Cave of Ridges. Like, that's a permanent settlement up ahead. Mm-hmm. That's something that's always manned and occupied by Fremen. That they will, that's probably one of their bigger growing operations right. that they have set up somewhere. Uh, so it's going to be a wonderland when we get there. You thought Fairyland was cool, Mike? <laughs> 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 Dubai's got nothing Welcome on Welcome to Fremenland! Dun-dun-dun! <laughs> <laughs> Um, you do got to donate water on the way in. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! Don't show up without water. <laughs> it's awkward. Um, so then we have a uh, Stilgar telling her, "Like, look, we must. Uh, we got to get back to the others, or they're gonna get jealous and they're gonna start snickering and saying right, right, like, right. I dally too long. Uh, they are already jealous that my hands tasted your loveliness when we struggled last Ooh. night in Toronto Basin. Stilgar dropping that compliment. Mm, just, just putting it out there. She's like, That's enough of that." <laughs> It's like, no offense, no offense. And tells him, like, women among us are not taken against their will. And with you, even that convention is not required. <laughs> I'm like, all right, that's kind of uh, a backhanded compliment. I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> but I do like that the Fremen don't rape. Good for you guys. Yes, yeah, well, thank fucking God. <laughs> we put the bar a little bit above the Harkonnens. <laughs> um, just barely. And uh, she tells him to, like, keep in mind that she was a duke's lady. And uh, her voice, though, was a little bit calmer. It's a little past tense to was a duke's lady. is a little sad. Mm. Just catching that in there. And Stogar tells her, like, kind of, like, changing the subject of dismissing this mm-hmm. off. Of, like, well, we got to put a door seal. <laughs> like, let's wrap this up. <laughs> Quit looking out the window. And uh, she's staring out at the stars, the kind of last of the stars uh, that she can see in the sky. And she heard, she's kind of, like, reflecting on what he said. She heard the offer of companionship in his voice. Mm-hmm. And she just thinks of how, like, I guess that's one way out of this problem. But then she thinks of Paul. You know, what about him? Then she thinks of her unborn daughter. What would be the implications if she, like, she joined with this naive? So many implications, Derek. Yeah? Yeah. Such as? 
No, I'm just talking about just in general for Jessica. This just chapter. In general. That's her. That's <laughs> it's her implication number three. <laughs> that's her whole stick. Um, but she goes from thinking about Paul a little bit and concern of him to like a lot of concern of her unborn daughter. Yeah. I think she's almost, I don't know if it's sort of like a confidence of like, eh, Paul's going to be fine. Or this is the second time his parents have totally written him off. <laughs> she knows that Paul can take care of himself to an extent. And she mm. does see how, uh, not just able-bodied, but how strong Paul can be. Sure. Um, but I mean, a baby from in this environment, she has baby. no idea like what their culture is exactly going to be like once they get to that CH. Yeah. And uh, maybe even so of like, uh, it is sort of like a male oriented society. So like there's a little safety for Paul in there. And then again, thinking right. of like, yeah, questioning. There's, there's only one woman traveling with him right now. Exactly. She's 14. And they were just about, oh, I thought you meant of Jessica. Uh, <laughs> and I was going to be like, and they were going to kill her. <laughs> just like up until a minute ago. <laughs> oh, no, no, yeah, no. Yeah, you're right. There's only one other woman in there. So she has no one to really base it on. I'm like, how do they treat their women? But we do know there is sort of a um, a reverence within. Uh, yeah, for like the Sayadina. Yeah, for the, the Sayadina. religious implication. Yeah, like uh, whatever the Bene Gesserit have laid down. There's probably exactly. like, she probably knows a little bit more than what she's told us even of what she can expect there. Probably. Um, just with that. And I like within the end of this paragraph, uh, we start, I told you way back, we were going to get a reason for why she had the child. This is kind of what I was referring to. We're mm. um, talking about the conception of like she, uh, to see her own motive, motives in permitting the conception. She knew what it was. She had succumbed to that profound drive shared by all creatures who are faced with death, to the drive to seek immortality through progeny. The fertility drive of the species had overpowered them. Interesting fact mm-hmm. that she chose Paul by choice. To have a, Paul out of love. Out of love. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was uh, the daughter's name going to be? It was uh, St. Aaliyah. I'm sure sainthood will come later, but yeah, probably. Oh, yeah. We, that's <laughs> yeah. how I was introduced yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, fair that's enough. a proper moniker. <laughs> I got a whole title, but I haven't met her yet. Uh, so, uh, little Aaliyah. Huh, like oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's cuter now. <laughs> <laughs> We've turned her from a saint into a little cutie. <laughs> yeah. All right. But um, uh, she was out of desperation. Yeah. So that's an interesting uh, thing to consider. Yeah, and like grasping for life. Right. Yeah. Um, also, not very, uh, I mean, that's a an instant fail in the Gamjabar for Jessica. What do you mean? I feel like that's more of an animalistic response than uh, a human response. The drive to live? The whole point, remember, at least the way, God, to go back to the metaphor Gaius Helma had, it wasn't that you stay in the trap to die. You stay in the trap to kill the trapper and remove a threat to your entire species. Okay. So I would just I would just say like the whole Bene Gesserit it is always about life and survival and that like I, I don't think you can apply the Gamjabar necessarily okay. to this. I'll take that. I'll take that. I, I like I like the leap for it though, uh, where it it is like uh well again it's like less controlled where we just were on like a how much control she has. Right. We then got to uh, confront this like and here's that moment where she just throws <laughs> control out the window and it's just a person for a little bit. Um, but we do have that quote to reflect on of how she is like the perfect person in this scenario so like mm. maybe it's a matter where we need to start questioning the precepts of the Bene Gesserit and not questioning Jessica I think you're right on that right yeah. like there's a little something wrong in the institution 
considering all Bene Gesserit just like completely turn their back <laughs> on everything they're told. Rules don't matter. I, you know what? I think it's everyone but Irulan. I bet Irulan kept the rule book. Everyone else throws the rule book out. <laughs> guys, guys. Why are you picking on Irulan? <laughs> team Irulan's an empty team. <laughs> so far for us. So, like I said, she's kind of pondering over uh, the fate of this unborn daughter and, like, would Stilgar limit the necessities that the Bene Gesserit sisterhood would ask of this daughter? Right, right? because, I mean, Leto, like, whatever Jessica needed or wanted to do with Paul as far as the BG way, Leto's just like, yeah. Kind of. I wonder if, I mean, if he had a daughter, it wouldn't be his heir, so maybe it wouldn't matter. But, like, if he had a daughter, like, she would go to the school, potentially. Right. Right? Okay, Which that, that was a different thing for Paul. Paul's studies were, like, oh. his training is sort yeah. of, like, off the books in a way. Right. Uh, but I, I do think that, like, Leto was in the loop with it. Because, mm-hmm. obviously, I mean, it's his kid, and it's right. Jessica. Like, they have that weird connection over right. him. So that, that's an interesting component of, like, I wonder how even Leto would have taken, like, the actual daughter, Pene Gesserit. Right. Uh, and how that would have got up with the I mean, Fremen, I guess though. as long as he had Paul as an heir and, you know, ship well, off. Ultimate, the, ultimately, yeah. he got a boy as an heir. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like, it's weird. Um, it's like, sure, send her to boarding school. It's fine. I don't know. I feel I, like it's pretty cold. I feel like but yeah, that's what Leto would do. I'm going right back to that. Remember when he talked to Mapes and he was just such a dick? Yeah. <laughs> and then he slams the door. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, you I still like to imagine he slams it before she goes in. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> entirely. Uh, so, yeah, he has that side to him. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Why are we even questioning this? It would not go well. She continues, uh, or no, I'm sorry. So at this thought, Stilgar, he clears his throat. because He's going to do this twice for us. Mm-hmm. And the first one, Frank likes to chide in. I'm glad he tells us because he's like, he clears his throat, but in a way that says he was understanding of the questions she was thinking. Like I don't know how you (coughs) still sounds like impatience to me. (laughs) Oh, you understand? um, (laughs) So he knows that she's thinking about like their union, or at least I think that aspect. I don't think because there's no way he knows about the unborn unborn daughter, (laughs) like as a thing. I think he 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 dropped the bombshell. He's like, oh, I think I realized what I did there. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. You haven't said it. You're just staring at the wall. Long has it been yeah. where she's been silent? <laughs> or not just like a weirdy woman. Yes. Sorry, that's the Stilgar mentality. Yeah, and so he pitches an alternative to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like, there are this other route. And he brings up like, they have a very old Reverend Mother. So like, she's too old. So I'd let you know, this is yeah. old Re- Reverend Mother Ramalo. And uh, she's going to need a replacement. Needs a replacement. A <laughs> replacement's dead. And right now, it's uh, Cheney is moving up the yeah. lines, but she's still really young. Not going to be a Saiyadina anytime soon. Now, uh, Stilgar, he's been having this entire conversation knowing that the rest of the tribe is sort of like listening to love. And now we're going to get to a little more pointed where he starts actually talking to those people Mm -hmm. more than he's talking to Jessica. Um, But he tells her like, before she can kind of probe into this, he says, uh, I do not necessarily offer myself as mate, which is cool. Like him undercutting right, her right, right away. Right. I'm like, this is what you were just thinking just, of. Just right? going to stop you right there. He's like, you are beautiful and desirable. But it's like, uh, my men would then assume that I dally too much within the, uh, you know, the pleasures of the flesh and not enough concerned with the tribe's needs. I'm like, dude, very diplomatically said. Mm. Good, good for you, Stoker. Yeah, yeah. And um, even now they listen to us and watch us. 
And she thinks of like a man who weighs his decisions, who thinks of consequences. It's like him very much impressing her, right? Yeah. And to me, it's like hitting home of like, yeah, he's like your equal. <laughs> it was like yeah. the closest to a male Bene Gesserit we've actually uh, met, right? It's funny because uh, when Leto died and when like we first met Stilgar, I had a feeling like I wonder if like Jessica and Stilgar would actually like get along, mm-hmm. or like if that would like evolve into something down the road. I'm saying right now, I would ship it. You you'd ship it. I'd ship it. I mean, we just we just told that ship stick her off though. Like <laughs> fr- we're in the friend zone now, Mike. No. <laughs> There's no getting out of the Fremen friend zone. <laughs> the Fremen. <zone. laughs> I like to think Stilgar put her there. No, I think I think uh, she said no. And he's like, oh no, no, that's not what I meant. <laughs> oh, I mean, like, oh, haha, wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> right, no, guys, no. guys, funny joke, right? <laughs> funny Jessica's. This guy's gonna save face in front of the tribe, though. No, but uh, I, I think that they're uh, they're definitely alike enough, mm-hmm. and uh, they think of uh, similar concerns. Yeah. No, they're they're a dope team. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I would. Uh, oh man, I would love to see them like fighting together. Like, I would side love by side. to see. That'd they, be so dope. They need to go back and beat the shit out of that guy that was talking <laughs> crap. Of, uh, <laughs> we will beat you together. That's what I want. Uh, that'd be good. So at this point, this next paragraph is basically all Stilgar talking to the people uh, mm-hmm. that are listening because he says like, uh, "There are many among my young men who have reached the age of wild spirits," and I, I like that. That's a cool line. The age of wild spirits, and that like buckle that right into that other line of like they're not thinking deep thoughts so close to home, and you just get this like rambunctious, Some very young group. romantic way of saying horny idiots. Yeah, <laughs> these guys <laughs> they go on a ride. And um, he tells them, like, yeah, they must be eased through this period. You know, he doesn't want them to challenge him. I mean, Mike, if they challenged him, he'd have to maim and kill all of them. And, man, that would be inconvenient. <laughs> right, everybody? <laughs> Dead silence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just crickets. And um, he then gets this great last line. Uh, he maintains the level of individuals. He's talking about a leader. Too few individuals, and a people reverts to a mob. Ooh, I think that is a really that's cool really idea good. of leadership. Um, and to like tie it into a real leadership lesson of just something I learned of like going through various management positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of the biggest hurdles that I had to jump through at one point was like learning to hire people that are better than you. Oh yeah, and just not being intimidated oh. by it. Like embrace it. Like I think that's that's always the trick. Like you always hire the smartest person. Mm-hmm. If they're smarter than you, way better. Yeah, because one, ultimately, don't be afraid. It's going to make you look so much better <laughs> when you have this capable team. No, because it all flows up ultimately. It also no, gives you an nothing ability trickles to learn. down. What's that? Said it also gives you an ability to learn. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like just confronting. It lets you see area. Uh, much like uh, when the Bene Gesserit are training, they always assign them with someone who's better than them. Oh. So you didn't get too cocky. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just something great. And I love like fr- him in- encouraging everyone to be an individual within this troop. This is your frank takeaway. Like, a lesson <laughs> in humor. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> you paused there. Woo! <laughs> Wait for your applause. I got a button here somewhere. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to call you out on it. <laughs> it's just a good lesson on hubris that everyone yes. should like take and think about. I think I like it. Oh, would you, okay, what do we call it? <laughs> you that Your one frank out? takeaway. <laughs> frank takeaway. Okay, we're, we're, I need like a little jingle TM. or something. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, you know what that was, Mike? Well, that was a very frank takeaway. <laughs> okay. Oh God, <laughs> kill me! <laughs> so at this point, Jessica is very impressed with him to the point where she starts questioning, like, "Wait, how is this breeding even possible?" And thinking about it on that level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think if a Bene Gesserit is asking that. Red flag right away. <laughs> that is that is huge. This is someone who is very familiar with the breeding line because she is at the fucking end of it. So I, I think it should mark a lot that she's looking at him and being like, he has qualities that are almost better than what the Bene Gesserit have been looking for. And in a way, I also like that the Fremen kind of mirror the Bene Gesserit in like a wild style. The Bene Gesserit are controlled and meticulous down to the finest detail. They've crafted like this 10,000-year genetic plan to get to where they want. The Fremen have just been kicking it in the desert. And they got to basically the same place. Yeah. They have like near-perfect people and reverend mothers. Like, they're just not, you know, dealing with the rest of the Imperium. But they can beat up the best soldiers in the Imperium. Right, right. Lots going to change if these guys ever make it off planet. I I still wonder how many there are as a whole. How many uh, Fremen there? Yeah, because you know yeah. it's about like 10,000 per Siege-ish. Per Siege, yeah. Yeah, that's still a lot. Yeah, because it was like... We, you haven't told me how many Sietches there are. No, I don't I don't, I don't know. Oh, really? No, yeah, I don't, there's no, no... Oh, interesting. No, no Imperial Census. I went through all of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, we're never going to count like all these Sietches. We just know that there's a lot. There's plenty. Yeah, yeah. There's plenty of Fremen to go around. All right, that's all right, what we're going right. to find. So uh, Jessica, at this point, she's underestimated Stilgar, and she even tells him so. And then he just goes like, yes, I suspected as much. I'm just (laughs) like, he doesn't return it back. And then I think she's a little chastised by that, because then she tells him of like, and don't forget, you underestimated me. (laughs) (laughs) Like, remember how I beat the shit out of you earlier? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's just like, right, right, yes, yes. You're not wrong. (laughs) Nope. But then he asks her for her trust, mm. and she doesn't give it. I don't know if you caught that. She It's a very Fremen response. Kind of. Fremen in what way? She doesn't say no. No. She doesn't say yes. Okay, okay, but the Fremen would say They're fine saying yes. They but never I think say the no. Point is, she no, doesn't yeah. know if she can trust him. Right, right. But so, but she doesn't respond no either. You know what? Maybe maybe that, I'll take that. That is totally Fremen of her. Right. She's not willing to say no would just be the thing. Mm. Uh, yeah. And because uh, he, he pushes her on it like kind of twice. And ultimately he like asks her for uh, the trust that does not right. require sex. And again, hitting home of like, even if I didn't make this perfectly clear before, <laughs> like platonic friends, <laughs> like you'll do this. And uh, I think all she tells him is like, I hear the sincerity in your words. I think the the big thing is they want to, he wants an understanding mm-hmm. between them. Right. Well, he, yeah, he wants his trust. But I, I like how literal she is when she says like, yeah. I hear the sincerity. Like, I think that is just like verbatim what those words yeah. mean. And isn't like trying to be ambiguous or like uh, a metaphor or anything. And so Stilgar he knows he's not getting anywhere. He's just going to turn the subject at this point of just like, okay, you're not going to trust me, but you'll believe me. I guess that's good enough. He, uh, he ends up telling her like among us, the Sayadina, when they are not the formal leaders, hold a special place of honor. They teach, they maintain the strength of God here. And he touches his breast right in your heart there. 
And uh, this is of immense interest to Jessica because once you bring up Reverend Mother, that's like uh, spice or watering. Was it watering kinds that set kinds off every time? Yeah. <laughs> you bring this up. She has to go on this like kind of track now, but knows like uh, she's got to proceed very carefully because like this is it's trying to trace down what kind of went wrong in the missionary productiva I think, without right? just like asking questions. Right, because she also has to seem in the know, because she's, right. she's playing the prophecies right, right, right. out, yeah. And uh, I think it's, uh, yeah, Stilgar comes in. It is said a Bene Gesserit and her offspring hold the key to our future. She's like, do you believe I am the one? And she watches its face carefully, looking yeah. for the little side. That's what she wants, really. Young Reed dies so easily. <laughs> yeah, isn't that a cool line? Yeah, I like that. Looking at his face, thinking the young Reed dies so easily. Beginnings are a time of such great peril. Oh, beginnings are times for everything, apparently. <laughs> Except getting that first quote right. And uh, <laughs> he says, uh, we do not know. She nodded, thinking he's an honorable man. He wants a sign, but he'll not tip fate by telling me the sign. That's that's good. That's mm-hmm. just a lot of restraint on Silgar's on part. Silgar, yeah. Oh, man, maybe uh, reminiscent of a certain quote we were talking about earlier. Ooh, which one, Mike? Oh, I don't know. The, uh, was it, uh, the Spannin slogan or whatever the fuck it was? Spannin. Spannin slogan. Spannin Yeah. He really wants there to be, like, the proof and the truth. Oh, man. Kynes had some Spannin spoken. Not as good. He really wanted to reach for oh, it. He really like, wanted to get into it. The scientist in him just wanted to go, ah! Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's good use of that. Yeah, one of the signs. So this last, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Then we get to last week's excerpt. Excerpt. Oh, excuse me? <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm losing, my tongue is just completely dead from this wine now. <laughs> uh, where Jessica considers sort of like the wild changes that are here from someone manipulating the missionary productiva. Mm. Mainly Pardot Kynes is yeah. who I'm blaming here. See, I, yeah. I think uh, if you hadn't told me a little bit more about Pardot Kynes, I don't know if I would have necessarily put it together right away mm-hmm. that he was the one that sort of like took advantage of it. Even though the last chapter or wait, uh, it was two chapters ago plainly sort of tells you that like, Oh, let me tell you about if like religion and this people, mm-hmm. I, I mean, it, I feel like it's pretty obvious there, but I feel like it's very easy to gloss over if you're reading it. You know what? Yourself. Well, yeah. And if you're going through the book for the first time, it's easy to get, there's so much. Yeah. You don't know what the thread is that you're supposed to follow, mm. which is why the first couple times I read this book, I really enjoyed it each time because I'd be like, oh, well, oh, now that I, I know that, that like this is the main thing, I'm going to look at this now that I didn't look at right. before. Or like you were getting very focused on the worms. And it's like, I'll straight tell you like, that's not the main character. But I appreciate that because that's no, good. That is good to know. Right, right. But so now I want to get to, um, ultimately, if you didn't know about Pardot, would you have like attributed any of it to Liet, or would you just be kind of oblivious getting to this chapter? I mean, it's really hard for you. Maybe you- Liet. I don't know. It's hard to tell because I mm-hmm. wouldn't. I would feel like maybe Liet is just being super, uh, super selfish and like, oh, this is his plan. He's like controlling these people, but it wasn't really him. He he was a member of these people. He is a member of these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was all his father. Yeah, I just. Yeah, no. I think uh, it's very easy to color Liet Kynes differently if you don't pick up on that little thread. Do you... Wait, so in that, I mean, do you not think it is Liet's plan now? I mean, it is Liet's plan, 
but it wasn't. Uh, okay, I it just, didn't start as Leah's plan. It was part of yeah, who yeah. started. I, it I just got the impression from what you said, but I, I get what you're saying now. Uh, I did. I thought maybe you were calling it like. Leah is being forced into this and maybe wouldn't have chosen it otherwise. Well, because when I thought about do- uh, Dr. Kynes, I thought mm. about Imperium Dr. Kynes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Coming to Arrakis, uh, according to Leto, like, he's gone native. It's like, no, he's always been a native. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the point that is missed. Yeah, yeah. And that uh, Liet has the Fremen's best interest in mind, ultimately. Because he is Fremen. Because he is Fremen. Exactly. I think, oh, God. I think Leah Kynes was my cancer puppy, and I didn't even know it. <laughs> didn't, even, didn't even get close to him. I didn't even get close, and I'll never have the time to spend with him. God damn it, Derek. Just continue. Cheney, come over Just, here. Cheney, any dog. God damn it. Why are you so sad, Mike? No. Oh, God. <laughs> we still haven't told her. No, I think I think it might be Stilgar next. I think Stilgar is my next puppy. I need a Stilgar <laughs> hug. Okay. Okay. Ooh, of them, who do you think's gonna learn about Kynes' death first? Oh. None of them know. Only Nafood knows so far. No. Nafood <laughs> is the new Yui. Got Nafood. He doesn't fail upward. He succeeds upward. So like I he's think just he's know. he is the one I'm actually following right now. I don't think I've ever followed. Nafood is the American dream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he is. <laughs> God bless them. <laughs> That stone motherfucker. <laughs> God. <laughs> Eating the food. But uh, where the hell were we? So, Stilgar, oh, uh, <clears throat> he's going to clear his throat. <laughs> yeah. Again. And uh, this time he does it impatiently. Oh, uh, yeah. Because Mike it's and like... Derek got really off track there. <laughs> oh, sorry, Stilgar. Uh, we were diving off of uh, last week's excerpt where Jessica realized the missionary Protectiva had been manipulated. Right. That's right. And she doesn't know exactly who, but she's she's going to try and find out. But we know it's Pardot. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So, Stilgar, this time, clears his throat. Impatiently, it's like, not knowing what she's thinking. Now he's like, "All right, come on." Remember ten minutes ago when I said we needed to seal this? You keep like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Mike, the water discipline will do for new people. We're like, all right, we'll give him another minute. But like, everyone is itching to get their yeah. steel suit off right now, and they're just waiting for steel guard. Mm-hmm. He said he went to go close that window five minutes ago. <laughs> Is he done? They're, they're listening. That's why they're listening. They do. That's when they all yeah. scatter. Yeah. So at this, uh, Jessica senses his impatience, knew the day moved ahead of them, and men waited to seal off this opening. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Uh, this was a time for boldness on her part, and she realized what she needed. Some dar al hikam. Some school of translation that would give her a dub. She whispered aloud. I like that. Like, she had to, like, psych herself up, and it, like, happens automatically. I kind of enjoy that. It's a little quirky. Uh, Before we go down a dub route, I love that we did our deep dive. We're pretty familiar with what that is. You know, we had the three mental trainings, and a dub was, like, that deepest level one of them all. But... I told you I got a Dar al Hikam kind of a uh, little thread to go down. Right. So, Dar al Hikam means house of wisdom. Very cool. Yeah. And it refers to a specific university of the uh, Fatimid Caliphate. And so, this is actually uh, right down in Cairo. That's where this cal. Oh, and so, do you know what caliphate is? No. I mean, we, t- we touched on this just earlier. Um, so, like, the most recent one is like ISIS tried to establish a caliphate. 
And it is always like, um, I'm, I'm going to be generalizing here totally too. Okay. Uh, like all of Islam joins together or they're all Islam nations or like tribes and they form like one homogenous like organization. Oh, dang. That's okay. the caliphate. And it's oh. happened a few times. And so they exercise, I think it's all like Sharia law and like they are uh, almost like a theocracy uh, and it runs like that. So I think we've had like two or three established. So my favorite game, Mike, which don't bring up the goddamn horse that got put in as a counselor but, uh, <laughs> in Crusader Kings. They always have uh, the Fatiman Caliphate is one I uh, run into all the right, time. Right. Oh, and causes okay. me such great ire. That's kind of um, funny. That's interesting. Yeah. Also, I just want to let everyone know that I think a horse took over an empire in your game. And I think you just caused you a lot of, of strife. No, Mike. Very straightforward. I got fired so a horse could be put in the place of the job I had. The Emperor's Horse Glitter Hoof. I love that game so much. But back to this. Uh, so we have the Glitter, did you say his name was Glitter Hoof? Glitter Hoof. Oh, yes, his Glitter name is Glitter Hoof. He's, he's a brilliant uh, chancellor. He negotiated treaties with so many nations. Oh, my God. The next time we see a Kulan, I want to name it Glitter Hoof. <laughs> I like that. I, I want... I, I, yeah, Kulan's got to come up. Yeah, it's at some point. So, back in uh, 1004 Common Era, mm-hmm. this library uh, was built, and they converted, and it was or rather it was converted by the caliph. Uh, it was Iman Caliph Al Hakim Biarm Allah. Okay, but Al Hakim basically was his name, and then uh, <laughs> Iman Caliph is like a common. We know when Iman is sort of like a religious leader. Wait, then, what is it called? Iman. Iman. Aman. Okay. Is like, uh, yeah. Is like oh, a, interesting. That's really cool. Well, he was an Aman Caliph is what I was going to say. And it just reminds me of like uh, Paddy Shaw. Oh. Where you're combining like two titles. <laughs> King kind of, boss ruler. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's interesting. Um, the Iman Caliph Ahakim, he makes this university into a state university, which I love because that just makes me think like it's like, you know, an actual like uh, college state. You go there. What's the, what's the mascot? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's gotta be. I don't know, a Pharaoh, <laughs> mighty Pharaohs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and a, and a thousand. A Pharaoh is probably yeah. pretty still new and old. Um, so in the fi- oh, I don't have much about the library, but I want to bring you to a little bit at the end of Al Hakim. Okay. So I told you he's the religious head of the Druses as well, right? Uh, and you don't get much on that. But at the end of his reign, he disappeared. What? He just disappeared. Wait. Okay. You tell me if you can solve this mystery. All right, let me, wait, let me get Gurney. We'll put our detective hats on. <laughs> what do we got? Uh, Gurney, you're foaming at the mouth. Are you okay? <laughs> In the final years of his reign, Hakim displayed a growing inclination toward asceticism and withdrew for meditation regularly. On the night of December 13th. No, um... It says on the night of 12-13, February, 1021. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, I got it. <laughs> um, so they're just uncertain on which particular day, but it was either the 12th or the 13th of February. Uh, and this is in 1021. So we're like a full, uh, what is this? Uh, 17 years after we That's pretty precise. After for, state yeah, year. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, I mean, that's we got good documents that's for that era. That's fine, that's fine. So he was 35. You know, he's taken on meditation regularly at this point mm-hmm. and aestheticism. And he leaves uh, for one of his night's journeys and he goes off the Makatum Hills outside of Cairo and he never returned. So a search found only his donkey and blood stained garments. The disappearance has uh, remained a mystery. 
Oh my god! What do you think happened? Like Glitterhoof did it. The donkey. <laughs> Glitterhoof did it. <laughs> she offed him. Oh, I like it. And these bloody hoof prints walk, walk off. No, but they do think that his sister killed him totally. Okay. Which is like, if you found the bloody clothing, he clearly didn't disappear. Right, right, right. <laughs> Someone a, killed him. This is a crime scene. Um, I didn't know he had a sister. Yeah, his sister, uh, Sit on Mulk, arranged his assassination, potentially, for being a toast to his intolerant politics. That's all I got for Al Hakim. I just thought that was a little funny. Yeah, uh, that's rough, though. Wow. Hey. I still think glitter hoof. Okay, I was just going to say, <laughs> better than a monkey bite. Better than a monkey, <laughs> monkey bite. bite. <laughs> he fared well, but better than the He takes the knife to your back. <laughs> like. Oh. <laughs> Not even like a donkey can't. No, the donkey knew things. <laughs> the donkey knew things. <laughs> Master of assassins, Kulon. <laughs> Two assassins in a donkey suit? Who knows? And a what? In a donkey suit. In a do- Okay, yep. yeah. That's what I thought, that's what I thought you said. <laughs> All right. Oh, uh, this wine is strong. Yeah, you ready? <laughs> yeah, let's go. We okay. Adab. Bam. 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 It's on. Adab starts it rolling. It. it what it rolls over within her. Mm-hmm. And then she recognizes the sensation with a quickening of pulse. Nothing in all the Bene Gesserit training carried such a signal of recognition. It could only be the Adab, the demanding memory that comes upon you of itself. And then she just gives herself up to it. And I love the adult. Yeah, so she doesn't even control it. These are just words that are coming out of, like, this. Well, it's previous memory, but it also takes any present memory that you encountered along the way. Because it It, auto-updates. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so, like, that whole previous uh, stint with Stilgar and them in the caves and leading up to this is all included within this. And it kind of hits there. So she's speaking in Chikopsa. Mm-hmm. But she's also, I mean, I'm willing to bet because it's integrating sort of what she's learning around her. It's also sort of like the exact dialect that uh, from and around her have been using. Ooh, which I, makes it hit a little closer to home, maybe. I like that. Yeah. Like, that might be a bit of a stretch. It's, it's but, probably, no, 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 but I'm on board with it. Yeah, there's right no, ev- it's, no evidence to support it, really, but that's what I guess. No evidence to disprove it. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that's what I see. Um, sort of like when we related on uh, Gaius Helma Hayam, when she said Kala, being like, I think she's channeling a little Fremen. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. No one can tell me she's not. So right, that's true. We're going with it. And yeah, she tells him, like, Ibn Kirtaiba. Uh, Ibn Kirtaiba. And then uh, as far as the spot where the dust ends. Uh, so that one, I did look up, Mike. It's not Gypsy Sorcery. We are free from Gypsy Sorcery we're this week. we done with that book? I th- well, at least we're, whoa, a little bit. Whoa, 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 whoa. we're not done with the book. <laughs> it didn't come up in this chapter, though. Oh, it did once later on. Okay. Uh, I, I spoke too soon. Uh, but I couldn't find, I don't know what that actually means. I know Ibn is like um, son of in uh, Arabic, but uh, I, I don't know about uh, Kirtaiba. So, nonetheless, she uh, is doing this and letting the Adab kind of run through her. And she's making this impression. She's basically fulfilling the prophecy for Stilgar. Yeah. Knowing now that it's, like, on autopilot and she probably can't mess this up. And uh, she sort of goes, I see a Fremen with a book of examples, she intoned. He reads to Allah, the son whom he defiled and subjugated. Oh. He reads to the... <laughs> Defied. Oh, oh, we don't yeah, we don't defile right. a lot. We just defy. I him. just want to say that one is even even spell check wrong. That's just me reading that wrong. <laughs> I think I'm on a defile kick because I'm like Defile. I got this. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Defied and subjugated. Um, do you have the last line in there? 
He, read- he reads to the setup of the trial, and this is what he reads. This is what he reads. Oh, man. Stilgar's eyes are just like... <gasps> yeah. He's like, Stilgar has pretty good control, and even he's just like, oh, my God. Can, can you imagine what he's thinking right now? Ex- no, exactly. I can't. Like, your yeah. prophet just came before you. Yeah. It's sort of like you've had this secret code phrase, and you're like, whoever tells you this is your special person, and, like, they and just then they show say up. It, and then they say your social security number, <laughs> <laughs> your birthday, yeah. your mother's maiden name. Yep. Everything. <laughs> the name of your imaginary friend when you were six years old. Mm-hmm. You never told anyone. But I told Shai Halud, just like everyone else. <laughs> then they take some rings and slap them together. And you're like, whoa. <laughs> and uh, I love, yeah, she goes through this rant and basically, like, it sets off something among the Fremen. Because a whispered response from many people can be heard, like, coming back to her. And that it's whispered to is sort of like, a little bit of reverence from them, maybe a little bit of like they're shy, maybe they don't fully believe, but you could just imagine hearing it kind of like make its way just barely around that corner into this room. And uh, back to her from the inner cave shadows came a whispered response of many voices. Their works have been overturned. She continues, the fire of God mount over thy heart. And, And then she thought, now it goes in the proper channel. Uh, I'm like, oh, when she, that's like the good cynic. Did you not want to read the whole thing? No, I, I just wanted to stop there to appreciate the cynic and Jessica where like she always does kind of uh, feel bad about doing this. And that's kind of what I think that line is there. Just like, I've said it. I can't stop it. I'm going to keep going with it. Right. But yeah, so the, do you want to do, you want to do the response and I'll do Jessica? Oh, sure. Or do you want to do the other way around? Oh, <clears throat> uh, sure. I'll do the the, the oh, oh, I see what you want to do. I was like, "What are you talking about?" Like, I gotcha. <laughs> I don't think I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to do the response? Ch- Chateau La I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. I have no idea what you meant. <laughs> Here we go, though. I'm sorry. The fire of God mount over thy heart. The fire of God set alight. Thine enemies shall fall. Be la kaifa. Ooh, can we, uh, I guess, we, yeah, yeah, we can pause there. Because that's going to be the end of it. Be la kaifa. Do you know what that means? No. Flip over to your glossary, Mike. Oh! That one is actually I actually in there. didn't think that would be in there. It's a weird one. Um, and then I have the actual Arabic phrase as well. So we can do them both. And they are kind of close, um. As you'll see once you get in there. Um, and it sort of enlightened me to another word, too, that I uh, I would have thought I did understand, but I did not. Amen. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, but it's got more. Literally. <laughs> hey, wait, hey, hey. <laughs> You're like no, a no. parent that's like get, like giddy to watch their I, like I child open a present. I on appreciate Christmas. your excitement <laughs> in that. I'm like, yeah, he did see the note I put in the gift. <laughs> I'm reading it. I'm smiling. <laughs> Literally, I'm in. So literally, nothing further need be explained. Yeah. So the Arabic phrase um, roughly translates to without asking how or without how. A way of resolving theological problems in Islam over apparent questioning, over question over verses by accepting without question. Which is like, I never took amen to mean that. But that is what that means. Is that what it actually means? Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, oh, shit. I didn't copy and paste the definition of amen, but it was basically saying, like, so it is. 
And so, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Of like, oh. both of them are words where like, I never understood that inflection. Was I don't on know men. why, but that doesn't sit right with me. It does with me. I think no. it, it clarified a lot for me. I'm I sorry, mean, no, everything uh, is like cloudy. I understand it in context, but like, I do not like the idea of just saying, because it is, it is, and accepting that. I always just want to ask why. Right. Yeah, I, that doesn't sit well with me. Oh, Mike. One of my favorite. I'd be a bad fremen. <laughs> yeah, I'm out. Dumping <laughs> water all over the place. Piter, book me a seat on yeah, that with Piter. Let's just eat some spice, hang out. Um, one of the things I reflect back on, uh, I used to listen to a lot of Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. Great podcast if you guys have never listened to. And he posed a question once, uh, somebody asking like if uh, they thought the universe was like finite or like worked in the system and, or I'm sorry, no, he's trying to trace back to like beginnings. Like, like what, if it's determinate? Yes. And so, like, what was the beginning point of the universe? And uh, he sort of was like, well, why does there need to be a beginning? Why does there need to be an end? And that, to me, is kind of like what Amen is like. Where, like, that is a huge concept to even, like, try to grasp in your brain. Where I feel like you do just have to, like, to approach something like that, you just have to be like, accept it as is. Mm. Like, what if there is no beginning? Cause and effect is just something for you and I, but is not for the universe. That's an interesting proposition. I don't just, know, though. Just leads me to Amen. Or by La Kaifa. I think Amen rolls off the tongue better, though. I think it does. I do. Like, I don't mind by La Kaifa. By, by La Kaifa. By La I mean, Kaifa. It, you have to be able to say it, Derek. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem, right? <laughs> Tell me about it, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> and yet I've gotten to episode 32 in Spice World. <laughs> I don't know. I think nope. if I was a tired, I'd say, oh, man. I, yeah, like, no, I can't I get mean, into this show. We've been having a pretty good time with this wine. Yeah, so. yeah. All right. In a sudden hush, Stilgar bowed to her. He bows to her, Mike. Yeah. Sayadina. If the shy halud grant, then you may pass yet within to become a reverend mother. God bless Jessica, because she does catch that. It's like, pass within. Yeah. Red flag right there. Like, that's another weird one. Uh, and I don't think she has time to dive into it. No. Um, we don't have time for implications, don't have a time for, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if only I read Mike's thesis statement for the chapter. Um, everything else, though, is as the missionary protectiva would pretty much have it. That's another weird one. Uh, and then she says the prayer of the Salat carved out their safety here. I don't know what that is, though. Wait, it wasn't in the glossary? Oh, is it? If it is, I overlooked it. I apologize. Not. Okay, that's what it... It's just weird because it... I, I would... Oh, it's so odd. Don't worry. I mean, uh, I mean, it is the prayer that she walked them through. Well, it makes me think of Alat as, like, the basis for it. Yep. Potentially Sirot as well. How, or Sirot, uh, or maybe a combination of the two somehow. Because what started this entire, I guess, prayer? It would be the fire of God mount over thy heart. Well, no, I mean, uh, the fact that uh, I see a Fremen with a book of examples, he reads to a lot the son whom he defied and subjugated. So this is something that this man uh, is telling the son. I, I like that. This, like, basically the life giver of this entire system. Yeah, or any world. Yeah, yeah. Any I, mean, world. Like, I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, the Allah being like their your, primary, their son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just think that's interesting. That is, no, that is that's a good catch. I think that's pretty. Dumb. So You're that's right, why I wanted I, to in, include Allah as part of the, the etymology for what this is called. Was it the prayer of Salat? Yep, Salat. Yeah, no. But I, the the fact that you also include like the Sarat on it is kind of cool. I think yours but, is way closer though. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, with how that starts off, you're mm-hmm. you're dead on. I I went to the wrong beginning actually, because uh, it starts off with um yeah he reads and then it goes mine enemies are like blades of grass eaten down that did stand in the path of the tempest. So I I, I like where you're coming from for it. I'm totally agreeing with you there. That yeah, there's yeah. something to the sun to be tied into that. So carrying on with a uh, passes within, she thought an odd way of putting it, but the rest fitted it into the cant well enough. And she felt a cynical bitterness at what she had done. Like, that always hits her, right? But she still does it. She still will. And at this point, she kind of is like, I have to play this part. I must play the part of Aaliyah, the friend of God. Oh, the left hand of God. Uh, Wait, look in your book for the spelling of that, Mike. Yeah, it's slightly different. Yeah, because it means something completely different. Left hand of God. A-L-I-A is the left hand of God. Where is this? How do you spell it? This is A U L I Y A. Right. So wait, I just I just double checked the glossary because you said it was different. This is the same word. I think you were in the assumption that in the glossary, the Aliyah was spelled the same way as her daughter's name is going to be spelled entirely. And but, hold up, do you know what the bigger implication of that is? What that means up until this point, <laughs> up until now, I thought that was true. Oh my god! <laughs> in ever, I mean, granted, this uh, knowing it's this name doesn't matter, right? Knowing the other girls, so like, I had a really cool way to tell you why Aaliyah is the left hand of God. That does well, make sense. I mean, I think it could still be based off of it because if you think about uh, Liet Kynes' name, oh, I'm at least saying it's it, a playoff it words was, at this point. Well, maybe because his, yeah. his name was based off of Uldiet. Yep. And why a baby was named Old Liet, I'll still never know, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but the idea that, like, you know, names ma- names are somewhat fluid, mm-hmm. or whatever you make of it. Um, I do think it is based off of this, probably. Well, so, this does bring us to the same point, though, ultimately, of... Uh, so, in this one, her saying, uh, friend of God... Uh, Ulia, we have in the back of the book is the left hand of God. Right. This is an actual uh, word in Arabic. Ooh. Ulia. And it means like a friend, helper, supporter, patron, or protector. It's often used to designate the status of a saint. The word is most commonly known in India by the name of the famous Nizamuddin Ulia, whose mausoleum is in Delhi. Oh, come on. Yeah, that's like, I can totally see the parallel there. To what? Her daughter's future name. Is it usually designated to a saint? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, yeah okay. But like, you're, you're, <laughs> you're just like, oh, no, I don't know anymore. It's like, I still think that it's based off of it. No. Point. Oh, no, 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 no. But I think, I think the point that I'm going to drive home for you is going to be even. Okay. It's even better than but, just a saint. So, for, I mean, that's sort of but, a one-to-one so far. Like, Aliyah, the friend of God is how Jessica says it. Yeah, I yeah. Think, and I the Fremen... I just want to hit home. I am still blown that uh, my mind is blown that I had this so wrong, so wrong for so long. And I would have been convinced that A-L-I-A was in the back of that goddamn oh, glossary. God. No. So, but carry on with More thought, specifically though. in the glossary, the female at the left hand of God. Mm-hmm. God's handmaiden. Oh. So, okay. Is that like in parentheses? No. God, handmaiden? Like, or? Not even in parentheses. It's just That's uh, really verbatim. cool. So, interesting. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So... Remember how I told you we we're going to check back in on Paul? Paul has been standing uh, with Cheney. Oh, yeah, Paul's here. What? Yeah, 30 minutes ago, Paul took some pretty hard drugs. <laughs> and they're about to kick in. Because, <laughs> like, right now, he's like, 
There's a weird taste in my mouth. Oh, what kind of what kind of drug? Wait, what did he eat? He ate bird flesh. Bird flesh. So uh, chicken, chicken uh, drumstick, chicken wing. We'll say. Oh, I mean, chicken might come on. This is gonna be like, I, you know, what would be really fucked up if it was a hawk. Oh, <laughs> that, that would be, be fucked be a up. Weird. It probably is though. I haven't seen yeah. any other birds. I haven't seen chickens for sure. Is that um, interesting implication? Oh, Jessica sneezes. What? <laughs> <He's slow. laughs> you are like really building this one up. I've had and a no, lot of no. caffeine today. <laughs> it's gonna be ingrained in me, and I'm like, why do I think Jessica is allergic to implications? <laughs> What book but was that one in? Grain bound with uh, spice honey. Yep. So I like to think that this is, uh, I'm just, I'm going. Oh, wait, uh, the encased in a leaf though too. To me, I see Lambus bread whenever you hand this to him. Oh, a little bit of Lambus bread. Yeah. I think uh, uh, spice honey barbecue with, you know, uh, maybe a little bit of panko on there. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, can I tell you, I used to work in a grocery store and the first time somebody asked me for panko, I was like, what? <laughs> And then he he had gotten the list. His wife had just sent him like these are the things I gotta get panko and chicken. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know panko. So you're both confused. Yeah, we're, we're both there like I don't know what the fuck panko is. Like we go around. Did you go on a journey together? Oh, we went. Oh yeah, dude. We became close friends. The quest for panko. His name was Tom. Ultimately, <laughs> you still remember his name? Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? Tom was the man. I learned what breadcrumbs were called. <laughs> Why do we call it panko? <laughs> I was, again. Mind blown. <laughs> that was at the age of like 17 though. Oh, that's so good. Tom, if you're listening, I hope you still enjoy your fried chicken. But I, I just like to imagine that someone has laced this uh, mm-hmm. more tired boys honey barbecue chicken with LSD. Yeah. And basically he's just like, oh, oh, that's spice. <laughs> oh, I don't do too good with spice. <laughs> and uh, he's sort of like, he looks over at Chaney and I think it's the drugs talking. Yeah. He's in awe. <laughs> Have you ever done hard drugs, Mike? No, I, I haven't. Okay, I think I was like, we're in a different ski. I yeah. have. I can tell you, I've totally been in his shoes. Oh, and that's like when you turn and look over at the person, and like you see like a tessellated pattern on their head, sort of like shifting, <laughs> or like their eyes are like breathing a little bit, kind of growing oh. up and down. And you're just like, whoa, <laughs> and then it like hits Paul like a wave, and basically oh. like he um or no, I'm sorry, he sees. Cheney like this in awe Jessica and then he looks over he sees one other figure Mike he sees Jameis all cross-armed and he's sort of off to the side shifty Jameis I wouldn't say shifty shifty Jameis this is like grunge Jameis like he's <laughs> just like off to the side like you guys don't know what's cool and um Jessica continues with uh do yaka bin manch do pranya bin manch I have two eyes I have two feet now this one, Mike, Ooh. I couldn't find in Gypsy Sorcery and Fortune Telling by Charles uh, Godfrey Lidland, 1891. Are we going to get a copy of this book at any point? I, I honestly did look at it yesterday. It yep. was it was pretty close. I, <laughs> I stopped myself, though. I don't want to read this one. I want to read Edmund Gurdy. I want to get to the bottom of it. Right, right. I don't want to read a bunch of Romani curses. I'm going to have Would no- you say that it was Spannensbogen that stopped you from purchasing <laughs> I, it? Yes. Yes, I would. I, no, no, because that is the delay. There was no delay. There was a stop. <laughs> What's the German word for nine? Nine. <laughs> um, but um, there's a website, a great Dune website called uh, jakarutu.com. The answer is halt. 
just wanted to put that in there. For what? The, for stop. What was the question? <laughs> the jury, what's the jury word for stop? Oh, is it really? That's halt. Oh, man, that is where I was going to go. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. Wow. And we just took that. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I'm, I don't know why I still remember that, but I do. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. You've really clicked in. I'm like, I do. It's my Adam. <laughs> <laughs> It's <laughs> much shittier at that. It only works on one word, and it better be German. <laughs> so, Jack Aruta, though, I found a post, and basically the post started with one guy being like, uh, he brought up Leslie Blanche's book, um, okay. Sabres of Paradise. Right, and he right, was right. like, guys, everything in this book is taken from here. And he listed a bunch of quotes. Some other guy comes in, and it's just like, no, gypsy, sorcery, and fortune telling. Look at all these ones, and drops in all these quotes. Mm-hmm. We found about 90% of each of those. Right, uh, right, Going right. through. But they did include this uh, Duyaka bin Maj. I couldn't find Oh, they find- had it in there. Yeah, they say it is. I couldn't find it in the gypsies. I was just doing a control F. Like I said, I don't want to read this book, Mike. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to take his word for it. And assume- But ultimately what he said, though, was it does translate to the exact same thing. Oh, interesting. Of like, I have two eyes, I have two feet. That's like the one actual one to one. Literally one. <laughs> the only, the only one. one. Yeah. Um, so I'm willing to take that leap of faith that it was from there. Uh, especially given that, Frank, like that one, uh, when you get the pun, uh, Punra Bin Manj, mm-hmm. that seems familiar to like the Prana uh, of the first one, the donkey poop one. (laughs) (laughs) I never do. Uh, Man Glitterhoof is pissed. (laughs) Yeah. So what do we have? Uh, Yeah, Chani is saying this. She whispers and uh, she stares back at Paul with a look of wonder. Paul took a deep breath, trying to still the tempest within him. His mother's words had locked onto the working of the spice essence and he felt her voice rise and fall within him like the shadows of an open fire. He's got spins. He's, yeah, it's, that's exactly, <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, through it all, he had, he had uh, sensed the edge of cynicism in their voice. He knew her so well. That, too, is a good drug thought with some time dilation. Yeah. You go on this little tangent, and you're like, oh, I haven't breathed yet. <gasps> you breathe back in. Oh, um, Mom. <laughs> but nothing could stop this thing that had begun with a morsel of food. Oh, our good friend, we have heard from them in so long been a while right oh man welcome to the party terrible purpose pp in the house so the drugs kick in (laughs) (laughs) paul basically he's standing there and he sensed it the race consciousness that he could not escape and i like that too like this one like he's feeling like it's chasing him a little bit or it's like it's got him cornered there was uh the sharpened clarity the inflow of data the cold precision of his awareness he sank to the floor, sitting with back against rock, giving himself up to it. So Jessica's giving a sermon. Yeah. All of the Fremen are saying, Amen, Amen. Paul's Mike, tripping Mike, balls. Bila Kaifa. Bila Kaifa. Come on. Yeah. yeah. So, excuse me. And Paul's tripping balls and just sort of slowly sinking and melting into the rest of the little cave they're at. Which I don't think he's broken eye contact with Chaney because no. she just turned back to him. And he looked at her. She's smiling and he just sank to the ground. <laughs> yeah. He's like, weird man child. <laughs> yeah. That would be, a, I'm just like, God, this kid sucks. I'm just like. First impressions are everything. Ooh. Hey, beginnings. Yeah. 
Oh, this is his chosen one, his star-crossed love. I, I, uh, is, is this the one? Is this like his uh, his dream? Oh, I guess it is his dream girl, isn't it? Literally, yeah. Literally. Yeah. But, uh, oh, that's such a hilarious, awkward start to yeah, their Yeah, no, future. I mean, if you, you're going to watch him, uh, I look at, yeah, he, yeah, that's going to be his kind of love interest yeah, yeah, going yeah. forward. Uh, we'll see if anything. That's so funny, though. <laughs> You took you took a hit of yeah. our drug. You passed out at the party well, here's that the, you went yeah. to with Because <laughs> we're joking about it in like our uh, our context, and I think that's yes. hilarious and it's wonderful. But from uh, his perspective, or for, I guess from her perspective, he just ate some food, and he's just like weak man child. It's just sort of like tired, taking a nap, sort of just. Eh. Well, I d- I think though you're you're then kind of still superimposing your outlook on her. Oh, you're right. You're, you're right. forgetting that she is in a point of religious revelry right now. That's right. Because I also forget her past that you told me about. And these are people that believe in witchcraft. Right, right, right. Like weird in general. Yeah, yeah. As like that is a thing that right. they totally believe is real. So like. Everything that Jessica has going on right now. And prophecy, yeah. Yeah, with Paul falling down, I think it would still be odd, but certainly not to, like, the teenage angst point. I think it would get, like, uh, kind of um, drawn up in this whole sermon that's going on. Uh, And maybe she'd contribute it to it. Because she would also know that Paul is the Messiah. Paul's the one. They they all know Paul is the boy. No, no, they said that Leah's orders were... No, no, but they all know the same myth, though. Remember Liet's band? Lisan al Gaib, Lisan. Shut the fuck up, guys. Leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, because, oh, yeah, as soon as they arrived, everyone was whispering about it. Because I bet there were so many secret fremen there on the streets, just, you know, chilling out. <laughs> yeah. I say secret fremen, but, like, even Silgar said, like, you know, they have to go sort of incognito yeah, yeah, without but, their weapons. But, well, no, I'm talking about the honor guard, though, that was with them. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. That yeah. band. But I'm just saying, so those were fremen. Yeah. They all talked about they him. They all got fired that this day. This band is going to know. Uh, Paul just as well. If not, I'm going to go out on him and say Lamil was there that day. Just because we met him. Fuck it. Oh, what about Farouk? No, no, Farouk was busy. Oh, yeah. he was sweet and sand. Yeah, he did some, he, you know. He's, he's really good at it, though. He's he's diligent. Is he's what diligent. He is. Yep. My man. Um, but I think it was Lamil and Jameis most of that day. What? Know? Oh, man. I was trying to find the exact quote for, uh, for Mapes. She says, uh. My lady, when one has lived with prophecy for so long, the moment of revelation is a shock. Mm. Which also so, makes so me... That's a shadow, shadow Mapes chapter seven? Shadow Mapes chapter six. Six, ah, so close. Um, yes. But it's a interesting point, too, that I, I, I we were talking about Mapes' age earlier. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not exactly how old, sure how old she is, but she's had a spice diet her entire life since infancy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty big. I, I, we should... Figure out how old she is. <laughs> I will definitely, I'm like, I'll come back next episode with either a solid yes or no. It's probably going to be a no, though. Uh, I'm just, well, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure I'm not going to be able to find a birth age for her, but. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. If you do, though, I'd be interested. You got it. Um, And if it is, like, relatively young, I think that might just be an oversight while writing. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and if it is young, they were wrong. They were wrong. <laughs> and we will let them know. <laughs> Sorry, Willis, but you fucked up. <laughs> but uh, no, I just think that's interesting. And I think that every Fremen in that cave currently, is it a cave or it's sort of like an outcropping that they've sealed off in a way? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like a little cave network yeah. through this rock formation. It, right, has, right, right. it has multiple openings because we know they're not going to go into a cave that has one opening. Right. Yes. It's very cool. And uh, yeah, no, so 
Mapes is shocked. I think every Fremen in that uh, little cave is feeling the same way. There's just a, you know, like Jesus is walking among us more or less. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Oh my God. Like what? Great mother. Mm-hmm. Or what do they say? A lot? What What? Do, what do the Fremen say? I didn't even think. Um, uh, I'm thinking uh, Orange Catholic Bible here. Yeah. Uh, they would go to the maker. Oh. Like great mother is always the deity for them. Maker. Shy Halud. Bless the maker. Yep. Um, or they, I've, I've noticed they've had a, a father and a mother aspect in some of their speeches. What's the somewhere. mother aspect? They've had father's son. Yes. I know. I'll look for it. Okay, sure. But I know they've used she on occasion. I think maybe, maybe it was uh, Liet Kynes who said it. Maybe. I don't remember them using the feminine, really, outside of the oh, society. Oh, man. I, I noticed it while reading, and I didn't like write it down and I really regret it now. So Paul is like against this rock now. This vision is rolling over him much like the Adab was for uh, Jessica. But this is prescience. And for him though, there's a danger in this. Like he has already felt it. Like actually, this is interesting that Paul is one, the first person in the universe to have to feel out this power. Mm -hmm. Outside of, I did tell you the Benny Talaxalu made it quiz that Tadarak who killed himself. Yeah. Paul is so far. Uh, you know what? That did not pass me by when I was reading this and like thinking about the idea and paranoia of no matter what I do or don't do, something is going to be completely altered forever. Mm-hmm. And how that could drive a person insane. Yeah, you would have to approach it with a bit of cynicism and nihilism. But right? I could understand why, like, a clone or a self-produced Kwisatch Haderach would just be like, I can't do it, and kill themselves right there. Well, and knowing that guy specifically knew he was going to be well, used I mean, that and manipulated. That's the future that he saw, and he probably saw several futures that involved that same end no matter what. Yeah, Can exactly. you imagine feeling all that torture and all that pain and death like in an instant this is my sweet relief and kill yourself that's yeah. fucking crazy that is and so like we get to i guess we get the benefit to keep that in mind that would have been a thought frank had after writing dune right right because that, that was in messiah yep the very the very okay. next book it's like the opening chapter next book which to me makes it seem like man i wish i told you this guy's life. like this is a really good idea right, i had right, right. like of how terrifying this power right. is. And I guess, yeah, I guess that is some perspective that we have as uh, the benefit of us listening to, back to this like, yeah, 50 years you, after And the you fact. having me to like guide you through having read the next book yeah. and be like, kind of. Oh God, is it really like 50 or 60 years at this point? Of what do you mean? Yeah. After Dune and yeah. Messiah? Yeah, That's we've crazy. already passed. I think we're on like the 65th anniversary. No, right, but not before, fifth, but I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, you No, you're right. No, what, what one did you mean? Oh, no, just the idea that like that. That's how long it's been since. The yeah, spring. yeah. So sixty-five. We're tracking yeah, that's from wild. that's forty-five to get us to two thousand. Another so sixty-five. Oh man, time is flat circle. Because I, actually, I think uh, one of the first books I bought was the fiftieth anniversary of it. Really? Yeah, because it was right around two thousand. Wait, that's one of the first books you bought for Dune. Well, it was oh. like that was the edition that was pretty much like still in borders. Oh, okay. Because okay. this is like two thousand eight. So I think I missed okay, the anniversary okay, okay. by a little bit, but like that was it. It's yeah. It was either fiftieth or. 40th. I was gonna say like, what a first book to buy, Derek. Well done. Oh, like, first book ever. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No. I was like, holy shit, son. My first book, Mike. My yeah. first so chapter book, obviously, The Magician's Nephew. Oh, what a good one. It was so good. I was gifted that by my grandmother, actually. Oh, I, love I read the whole series. Fucking love Chronicles you know what of Narnia. Love? Yeah, but see, like, everyone knows Lions of Witch in the Wardrobe. Nobody knows Magician's No one Man. does. Yeah. The, yeah. You got rings. You get the beginning of the language. <laughs> it's got everything. <laughs> We're on the same. All right. 
Next podcast. Next podcast. Fuck it. Put Dune away, Mike. That might be a fun one, actually. That would be a really fun one for a day. That would be pretty good. Jumping back in. So, Paul, though, knowing this is a danger, knowing this is a threat, he anchors himself to the present. And that is like, that's what he feels like he has to do. Because again, he can get lost in the infinite options here. Yeah. I feel like he could just end like a comatose, you know, vegetable essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of just like constantly running through these. I mean, the first time this happened, it was unprovoked by Spice. Yep. And he lost himself for a while, but it all happened within the span of a second. Mm-hmm. And like, that's kind of a scary idea that like, you lose your sense of time in a way. Yeah, and so you're referring to the tent. Right? The tent, yes. Yep. To the tent when we first hit uh, the sand. Yeah. Because, like, again, and he's had this sort of prescience peppered in, but it used to be only when he went to sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only in his dreams when his mind kind of relaxed. That's and subconscious. It's sort of like, yeah, now it's invading your sort of, like, waking uh, self. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, no. It can oh. be terrifying. <clears throat> and to not know if you're in a prescient vision or in reality... Is must be so Poor weird. Poor Paul, he's never going to be the same ever again. He, this is going to, I think, uh, just be invasive for the rest of his life. Yeah, very much so. That's ridiculous. It's, it's poor a, guy. Think of it, it's a level of isolation that's always going to be imposed on him. What kind? Because, oh like, my God. even, uh, so I'll t- like, I've told you, Cheney's going to kind of be his love interest. She's never going to understand that. Right. She, I don't think anyone ever will. Uh, there will be a few. Wait, really? There definitely will be. What? Yep. Ooh. Oh, my. Come on. Oh, I thought I could get you. I thought I could get you. <laughs> you thought I'd slip up? You thought I'm drinking that much? <laughs> I poured you a little extra whiskey, but a then I realized more. I drank it, yeah, so it yeah. doesn't really matter. Or a little bit more, you might get that out of me. I'm still pretty sharp. Um, so, Paul, though, he gets a better understanding of his prescience in time, where he sort of says, like, the flowing moment, the continual solidification of that which is into the perpetual was. Oof. Have we already had the description of like um, the time being like this multifaceted uh, possibilities that gets thrust into the narrow doorway of the present? Uh, I think we have. I, okay, I think you did yeah, use I that think, imagery of it. That sounds and really I, familiar. I, I love that kind of uh, subjugation of it, and that's what I really get here. I, th- I feel like the idea is that we just we can't picture it, and I think. Frank does that on purpose. It's very uh, Lovecraftian in a way where like you try and yeah, I, try and show off a big idea yeah. as ambiguously as possible. Yeah. But that just leaves so much room for like, what, why, like how? Mm-hmm. And I, I do enjoy that. I think of it as almost, uh, you said multifaceted. I actually do think of it in terms of like a kaleidoscope. Yeah. Where it's so impossible to actually track things, but even just a small shift changes everything so dramatically. Yeah, the whole tessellation of yeah. every little bit is off and the angles change and this and that. And uh, I also love that in this, we get a lot of imagery of like sort of like currents, waves, and surges of water churning uh, to sort of contrast to how we've also described it as undulating dunes and mm. hills and mountains. Uh, all these sort of varying landscapes there. It ends up being sort of like the prescience he realized was an illumination that incorporated the limits of what is revealed. At once a source of accuracy and meaningful error. A kind of Heisenberg interminus in... A kind of Heisenberg in... Oh, I can't do it, Mike. Can you say that word for me? (laughs) Heisenberg indeterministic. That's not what it is. Interminacy. I can't get get the middle of it. Oh, I was talking about the quantum theory... uh... Indeterminacy intervened. Okay. That's the word I was looking for. 
<laughs> you just put in the wrong uh, indeterminism. Okay, I was talking about quantum theory and determinism. Yeah, yeah, which is ultimately what. This is. So, right. and then it ends. Which with... Which is uh, interesting because that would have been a thought from the ancients. What do you mean? Because that that's an actual thing for us. Go on. I still I don't know what you what is what do you mean? It's thoughts for the ancient, like uh, a phrase, or what do you mean? Well, that's what Erlong prefaced on a thought from the ancient, and then she said, uh, "Oh, okay, yeah." yeah. yeah. It's just like that's something from our time period yes. that would continue onward. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I thought you were like going ancient from our perspective. No. I'm just like this is something. But yeah, we were uh, bringing up Heisenberg and he says uh, the expenditure of energy that revealed what he saw changed what he saw. So I did take down uh, the Heisenberg uh, uncertainty and what that is. Yeah. So it states that uh, we can measure where the wave is or where it is going, but not both. The reason is that to measure uh, where a wave is, we have to disturb its momentum. So we can no longer tell where it is going. And that's why quantum theory is all based off probability. Mm -hmm. Because it's not deterministic like we want it to be. It's not linear like we think it should be. Mm -hmm. This is actually something I think we talked about briefly last week. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very tangentially. Yeah. And that's the that's the difference between undeterminalism mm-hmm. versus determinalism, saying that because this Big Bang happened at this location, we know that this, 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 and this will happen because it's preordained. We just know that, like, A goes to B at this speed. You can predict everything. Everything mm-hmm. will have an end, and we can calculate it because we know these facts. That's not how things work, though, as a whole. And <laughs> we can prove that based that's off fine. the standard model and experiments. Everything is undeterministic mm-hmm. which i'm i'm glad that frank included that in this book because one of my favorite books is the dancing Wooly masters which is all it's basically quantum mechanics in a layman's terms you brought this up before it's such a good it, book it was Derek. like no yeah, yeah i'm saying that. i think it was only in like the first five or six episodes that you brought yeah. it up so go, can you carry on no no it's, i just want to give it it's like like kind of spotlight <laughs> i dancing I Wooly masters here. i used to have two copies i lent someone one for the same reason i never got it back though which was very it was sad not about. me and i have audio <laughs> evidence for that because you were just said it on the podcast. You gave me life of pie. Yeah. I still have life of pie. I am okay. on the record okay. for that. I don't have dancing wooling masters. It's a great view. And especially now that it's here, I highly encourage anyone like listening to this podcast, read that book. Cause it is just so intriguing about multiple world series, quantum mechanics, how you can't determine one aspect of where a particle will go just based off its current direction, like momentum Mm -hmm. or its speed. As soon as you view it, uh, you basically interrupt the flow of its trajectory in a sense. And it goes off in a path that you can't see at that point. And that's exactly what Paul is seeing here with his prescience, his terrible purpose. Yeah. Well, and certainly that they even leave a little bit of room where it's a kind of Heisenberg indeterminacy. It's a it's a sort of like it. Because Frank, he, he needs that wiggle room, Mike. He needs that room to go back and be like, no, never mind. You think it's because he didn't exactly know all of it? <laughs> it's just like, I Whoa. didn't read the whole book. So. <laughs> oh, shit. Maybe he read a lot. Maybe. So maybe he could have skimmed it. You don't but, know. Uh, wait, uh, so this might be a little outside of your knowledge base, but like, do you know when the origin of that is? Uh, like Heisenberg in general? Like, are we talking like 1900? It was 1925 that he formulated quantum mechanics in terms of matrices. Holy shit, he was 24? Yeah. Dude, this dude was insane. And for that discovery, he's awarded the Nobel Prize. In 1927 is when he published his uncertainty principle. That's crazy. It's pretty sweet. What am I doing with my life? I was just gonna say, I was feeling very, have, <laughs> I was feeling very self-conscious as well. We're drunk on a podcast, Derek. <laughs> 
I'm like, there's got to be an up, right? <laughs> there's got to be something. <laughs> we got to do something better than him. <laughs> oh, goddamn. Anywho. Yep. But so, I, I, that was a fun little uh, tangent there. I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad you looked it up. Honestly, it's better to kind of broaden our horizons every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is undermining just like, again, how when Paul looks into the future, he changes the future. Yeah. And that needs to be something he's constantly weighing and also why he can't rely on his prescience ever. Right. And I'm... We're getting some hard rules for it now, which I appreciate. I think I was, I, I didn't appreciate how much I was in Paul's shoes of just like not knowing exactly how this works and yeah. what's going on. Yeah. The first times we encountered this terrible purpose, it made me really think that like, oh, he can just do whatever he wants because he said like, oh, I saw a thing this one time that said this. I saw like your birth certificate or whatever. Yeah. yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. He read, you know he read what the I mean? book at the like, end and he exactly. knew his grandfather. So I'm just like, I feel like you could just make up whatever you want at that point. But I'm glad that. Frank does iron out some hard rules for like how this works and the implications. <laughs> Sorry, oh, whoa, that, was, that was wild. That was really oh. good. Uh, I don't know what happened. I'm sorry. <laughs> I want to hit one of those in. The uh, the implications <laughs> of uh, what that means for him. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I, I mean, I can tell you, uh, I've listened to an interview that Frank did, especially concerning uh, the following book in the series, Doom Messiah. Yeah. And Frank did believe that, like, it isn't a superpower. It's a curse. I think it is. And I feel that. And I, like I said, I feel bad for him because he's never going to get away from this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're thinking of all, I mean, because, again, we're tracking from the point of, like, a prepubescent boy. Right. Going forward, he's never going to have so many opportunities that you and I did to, like, take it easy. To just kind of wing it. For him, he's always going to be able to see the consequences of his actions. Don't ask old man Paul for advice. He's crazy. It's wild. Uh, and this kind of brings us up to uh, the last two paragraphs in our chapter. And if you, yeah. if you don't mind, I'll take a go at him. Please. Yeah. The vision made him want to freeze into immobility. But this, too, was action with its consequences. The countless consequences. Lines fanned out from this cave, and along most of these consequence lines, he saw his own dead body with blood flowing from a gaping knife wound. That's how our chapter closes. So there's a large potential Paul's going to get stabbed. We don't know by who. Yeah, or under what? Like, do we have more Sato car coming down over like right. a cliff ledge? Certainly, Paul is the number one person uh, the parents gonna want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he so, ever, are you assuming it's it's the Harkonnens? Then I'm not. A, I'm not. A, I was gonna say if the Baron knows at all. I mean, we've already had. Um, I guess I it wouldn't be the Fremen. Stilgar, with... Stilgar alone told us like the Fremen aren't looking for you. He right, told us right. that last chapter. They think you're dead. They think a mother. No, uh, the Harkonnens. You said the Fremen. I'm sorry. Yeah, I meant Stilgard. Oh, yeah, yeah. Stilgard yeah. told them that the Harkonnens aren't looking for them. Yeah. That, you know, this is all done. Uh, was it Mother Storm? Great Storm? Um, the Mother Storm. That's what it was. That was it. That's what I was thinking. The Mother Storm. Father, Son, Mother Father, Storm. Father, Son, Mother Storm. Mike, we got there. I knew I I knew I got it somewhere. Vice Worlders, stand down. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Love it. We have power. That's pretty good, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's great. Uh, but yeah, he's looking at all these things. And like we, I think he said last time, he's in a place of blind time right hmm. now. 
He can't see. He's at a nexus of some sort. Yes, nexus. I love it. Frank is obsessed with that word. Oh, really? Well, I don't know. I think I th- I heard, we heard it once before, I think. It's uh, it's twice in this book so far. Okay. I, I did a control F. Uh, okay. There was one point, I think it's in like chapter three. We actually bring up that. I was really surprised at that one. Oh. Um, and then you and I, we played the board game. It's in the board game. Yeah. It's, it's in the card game. It's just in like all this dude stuff. For some reason, they really like nexus. Uh, and they use well, you it. know, th- yeah, interesting too because I uh, in the board game, whenever you uh, whenever you proc a nexus, it changes the flow of the game moving forward. So yeah, for everybody, it lets you uh, you redo the alliances, right? right so right. the factions change at that point. Uh, it's kind of cool, which is big. It's huge. Yeah, yeah, changes the course of the Imperium. Um, going with that, Mike, is there anything else from that chapter? Anything I skipped over? No, I think I think we hit it pretty. Succinctly. This is a good one. That was a really I say fun succinctly, one. but we really didn't. We we just can't we, remember what we did. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm right there with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think we took a lot of time on it though. Yeah, maybe we take let's take some time to refill our glasses. Oh, Mike. I like that. Let's do that. Yeah. Derek. What's up, Mike? You know that we partnered with Audible recently. Oh, uh, Mike. I am so glad we partnered with Audible. I love Audible, and I just gotta let everyone know that. Since we partnered with Audible right now, they're offering our listeners a 30-day free trial when they visit audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. And when they sign up, they get a credit. They can use to pick one from thousands of books. Anything. Yeah. Anything they want. Like Dune. That's mm-hmm. what my first audiobook was. And I, if It's the easy one. If you're, you know, you're looking for something, you don't know what to pick. Yeah, pick get Dune. a little companion book. And if they sign up with their Amazon Prime account, they get two credits instead. Ooh, that is quite the bargain. Yeah. I got Amazon Prime myself. Yeah, me too. From then on, you get a credit a month, and you can just feed your literary hunger, just like Paul does with his spice. (laughs) (laughs) Unknowingly, he was given that spice. That's that's Uh, true. Well, Paul was roofied, wasn't he? he, Pretty much. Dang. You do get to keep anything you purchase, too. Uh, Anything you spend your credits on, in your library for life. Yeah, exactly. Even when you cancel that Audible membership. you cancel it, and if you do want to cancel it, hey, it's fine. No harm on you. They'll even give you a courtesy email asking if you want to continue. I love that. Do you, uh, I'll go full circle. I don't know if I can tell you this, Mike. The only reason I have Amazon Prime is when it first came out, they did not send me a courtesy email. Oh, no. This is like when it first, the program first <laughs> Wait, started. Like 10 years ago. Yeah, I signed up, but I was like, I'll do a 30 trial and then I'll cancel it. And then, <laughs> nope, but I really do love Amazon yeah. Prime and I've kept it since. Hey, there you go. And wow. now... It doubly worthwhile because I got two Amazon credits for my Audible. Hey, wait, what are you reading right now then? Uh, right now. So, uh, do you know Malcolm Gladwell? I don't. He's got a cool podcast called like a Revisionist History. And, you know, he, sometimes he's hit or miss for me. Um, mm-hmm. There's some things I don't buy into from him, but there's a book he did called Talking to Strangers. And it is so good, Mike. When he starts it, there's a little intro, and he's like, look, guys, I don't want to just do a normal audiobook because I do this professional podcast, so I'm going to produce this like my podcast. So whenever he does an interview, he just plays the actual person he interviewed, but it's all still the book verbatim. Oh, very interesting. The subject of the book is just about how we all are not able to actually know what's going on in someone we're talking to's head. Like, I'm looking at you right now, I don't actually understand you, and I should respect the fact that I never will. And each chapter is an individual anecdote tale. He goes into really deep detail about how these two people basically sort of, like, pass each other like ships in the night. And how so easily it could have been for them to understand each other, and they just don't. Whether it be, like, facial expressions, which are not universal, Mm -hmm. that was a huge thing. There's a whole island he goes to where if you smile, that means sadness to them. 
man. That blew my mind. So stuff like that, totally, I highly recommend it. Totally the difference between Kyle and Kufir. Yeah, that's perfect. And that is Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. That is amazing. We know you guys understand the value of a good book. You read Dune. We're going to help you get a free audiobook when you visit audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. So that was audibletrial.com and you just put slash spiceworldpod? Yeah, it's audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. All right, let's get back into this. Let's do it. All right, Mike, I got a deep dive for you. What do you got? Jameis. Jameis, that's right. Oh, Jameis. You've been a really reluctant. No. I don't, okay. Mike, just chill. Not forcing anything on you. You don't go take Jameis Just have a little spice. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When Mike goes silent in 20 minutes (laughs) and sings to the floor. No, um, but so all, you know, they don't just give any character an article in the encyclopedia. Okay. So I do want to outline that first and foremost. So we're going to go through a little bit of the life of Jameis because you weren't too won over by him. Even though you thought he was a gentleman in the beginning, kindly asking for someone to get their water for them. Let's walk through and see what his life was like. So he's born in the year 10159. Travel back quite okay. a few. It's not too long ago, but this is right at C.H. Tabar too. Right. Born and raised. He was the son of, ooh, Dioces. Dioces? It's D-E-I-O-C-E-S. Die. D-E-I? You think it would still be die? Or day. That'd be day. Oh, Dioces? Dioces. Okay, I like that one. Uh, and he was noted for, uh, this is uh, Dioces, his uh, ferocity in battle. His mother, Madai, was a gentle, intelligent woman who carefully supervised her son's education. It was she who insisted that young Jameis attend Pardot Kind's lecture <gasps> on ecological literacy. Ah, no way! Yeah, so little Jameis. That makes sense, though, yeah. Yeah, he's like, what, seven? I don't even know. But little Jameis is going to school. He's going to do like a little backpack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and dude, he ate it up. He loved it. Oh, really? He really bought into this hook, line, and sinker right from a young age. He loved listening to Pardot. Poor Fremen. What? Fre- no, Pardot's using them. Okay, okay, okay. I'll give you part of it's using them. Is it maligned or is it bad? Is it for the benefit of the Fremen? Yeah, it's so they can walk on a planet without still suits. Like, that is Liette's dream. That was part of its dream. Okay. okay. Yeah, you're like, you're like, okay. Maybe, but like, they'll never see it. <laughs> okay. I mean, he's still going to be living in a desert otherwise. <laughs> Isn't this better? No matter what, Jameis is shitting around in this desert. No, no, I mean, he you, can either do it for the benefit of... That's how Pardot sells it, though. It's like, <laughs> no matter, you might as well do this. <laughs> you told me... You sound, you're such a Pardot. <laughs> you just bought into the kind. <laughs> <laughs> These outworlders who've come and joined us. You know what you are, Mike? You're yeah. a regular Jameis. That's what you sound like <laughs> no! to me. You thought you said Jameis ate it up, but you're just saying the off-worlder here is coming and gotten in our way. You put that word in my mouth, thank you. There's a little cyclical reference here, that's all I feel. (laughs) So, Jameis joins these classes, he loves it. They think that it might have been his early exposure to the uh, charismatic kinds that uh, inflamed Jameis with Pardot, and later Liette Kinds' dream of bringing this paradise to a reality. So sort of like part up to sold it to him. And then he also ends up working with Liette, which right. I think is why he uh, brought Liette up to uh, Stilgar. Not necessarily like, can I see the manager, please? Yeah, but exactly. like, we both have worked with the boss. Right. <clears throat> um, mm-hmm. I know him too. Uh, so like clarifying that. Right, right, right. Now, it is also op- uh, possible that Jameis had a special affinity to uh, Pardot 
because Pardot saved his father's life. <gasps> oh, part of the, the way Pardot got brought into the Fremen was he saved three Fremen that were being beaten by a Harkonnen. Oh shoot! And so, like, I don't know what makes Pardot like throw down and just be like, "No, like this is not just." And he kills those Harkonnen. <laughs> Mala pistol. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, straight up. And basically, he does it so quickly and without like thought. The three Fremen that are there are just like, "Oh shit, we owe this guy a water debt." Yeah, and oh, they, they three were, water nets. They were all so young. They're like, I don't know what to do. So they brought him back to the naive. Oh, because they're just like, what do we do? He, right, like right. he's from the Imperium, but he saved us out of hand, all to risk of himself. That's how Pardot got into the Fremen. Damn, that's a pretty good entry, right? Do you think Pardot knew what he was doing at that time, or just so happened some sort of moral In, compass impossible to cover? I'm going to oh. say moral compass just based on how Liet is. Like, right. I get that Liet was raised Fremen, but I still think there's going to be a lot of his father imparted on I him. think, I don't know why, but I'm coloring Pardot in such negative light. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you are. I think it's because, <laughs> I think it's because uh, Liet Kynes was just like, oh, God damn it, dad, stop because talking. So I just have that negative sort of like uh I, I like uh, where I'm sort of saying like you bought so much into Liet yeah. that now like you when you saw someone he didn't like, you're like, well, I don't like him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm on the Liet Kynes train. I'm with, maybe I'm not such a bad friend, Derek. I <laughs> I think we just saw one uh, facet of yeah. uh, Pardot there, yeah, you yeah, know, no, you're from right, his you're son. Right. I agree. And this is a cool opportunity to see him, I guess, one from a non-Frank Herbert writer side. Because it's whoever wrote this article. Right. But then trying to see it through, like, Jameis's eyes here. And that the dream is just to not need a still suit. And that this man saved my father. So I'm, like, doubly invested right, at this So point. James's father was one of the three. Mm-hmm. Now, in Siech and Desert, this is talking about Jameis. He soon learned to pull the sands for weather. To read the language of the wind. To recognize the signs, no matter how vague. Made by man or animal on the rocks and the sand. To walk silently over sand and rock, to make distinctive Fremen signals, the chirrup of a bird, the faint thumping of a mouse jumping on the sand. They can make those sounds? They can make those. That's like that's all, really cool. Like, that's how they send the little, like, that's signals. That's really right? good. And so Jameis, like, he picks this all up. And I think he's really inflamed by this idea from Pardot of, like, this is what we're going to build together. And if we all have, like, you know, we all strive uh, to We 100%. can make paradise. Mm-hmm. And so Jameis is going to do pretty much whatever he has to to help get that goal. Now, the only downside to Jameis is that he does have, like, a temper to him, which is what Stilgar brought yeah. up, right? And that's, like, the only thing that was, like, that keeps him from leadership, but he is, like, an awesome Fremen still. Okay. Even with, like, what we'll call, we'll call that a character flaw, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, all was not work, however. Jameis did enjoy uh, the usual child play. Pebble games, sand search, circles and squares. I love circles and squares. But his greatest pleasure was music. He tried the drum and the two-hollowed flute. Do you know what he settled on, Mike? What did he settle on? Mike. The nine-string set. Oh, did he really? Yeah, he did. No, no, no. You're trying to get me to like this guy. Mike. I know it's a trap. No. Mike, 100% <laughs> within the encyclopedia. And we are going to see proof in the next chapter. Jameis is a fucking set player. Oh. How do you feel now? <laughs> Eric, I don't trust it. I'm sorry. The alternate name for this deep dive was Mike's guilt trip. Um, <laughs> so... He became adept at playing in the most difficult of all instruments, the nine-string set. Mm. He mastered dance, especially the spirited dance. He mastered the... dance? Dude, he's a really cool guy. 
<laughs> Imagine we'd see him on Dancing with the Fremen. Yeah, because like <laughs> it does specifically say like um, what is it? Uh, he became adept in the music, but he mastered dance. Wow, dance of the whirlwind and the intricate dance of the birds. I'm just trying to imagine like Footloose with a Fremen, <laughs> like superimposed on Kevin Bacon. Whoa, whoa, without rhythm, without rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be a really weird movie. It's a, it's a really strange beat. Um, we can't. No, no, they walk without rhythm. That they dance like to a fucking beat. <laughs> we dance to a goddamn they th- metronome. They throw down in the sea edge. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And the worms are all around. <laughs> so, um. He also applied himself uh, to his endeavors. Jameis, like, soaked up Fremen religious lore and prophecies, much like the still suit soaks up the body's water. That, that's the parallel. It, yeah, oh, it, was, uh, it, it felt very forced. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I'm like, like that, you know that, what? He wrote it. I'm going to give him the later day here. <laughs> I was going to say, it feels like a bad mic joke. <laughs> it was a really, really bad mic joke. <laughs> um, but then, like I said, his inclination towards violence had always kind of manifested itself. Do you remember what action five-year-old children of Fremen take part in? They play with the sand trout, and they stab people on the battlefield. Uh, I'm looking more for that second oh. one. <laughs> no. uh, James really loved that second oh, part. Oh. He was, he's really <laughs> he into really it. really got into it. <laughs> Just a, a red flag. That's all I'm going to say there. <laughs> it's great when they gush. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, 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 Jameis. Uh, I'm going to uh, go back to CS. Jameis, that's water. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. Um, but as he grew up, he was a ferocious fighter. And that's sort of I like... Bet, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I that's, that. that's where you become a great Fremen. Like, creepy child, great Fremen. Small line in between the two. Uh, and he was ready to receive his Chris knife, like, pretty much years before he actually did. And you get it at, like, basically a bar mitzvah. For uh, Fremen. Mm. When you become a sand rider, you get your Chris knife. Oh, oh, wait. So when you like come of age, oh, what was the test? Uh, test Mashad, was it? No, that's the Amtal rule. Oh, that is Amtal rule. Yeah, yeah. Test Mashad is like the coming of age test, right? Uh, I remember Mina being the season of coming of age. So the the test when they like come of age. So when they come of age, they get a Chris knife. And that's when they're, I assume that they're also like given a thumper, like as part of their regular outgoing kit. Um, so maker hooks, maybe well, he becomes a sand rider, right? Basically like you're mounting your work, your worm, your mounting of the worm. That is the test. Oh, that is the mitzvah. Oh my God. Uh, but I don't, again, I'm not going to go into how you do it per se. We did, we touched on a little bit in the worm. They give you some hooks and they don't give you instructions. (laughs) It's like, there you go. They they give you some instructions. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, Uh, oh God. But like, that is what they go through for it. Uh, and what James would have done. It's basically it's the same. James was like, he's a pretty hard kid, even coming up at 12. Like, he's ready to roll. So he got his Chris knife. And um, it does actually even say in the rigid Frau Ferlucha structure, wherein sons were trained to follow their fathers in skills and knowledge, James far surpassed his father, which Ooh. I didn't think the Frau Ferlucha applied to the Fremen as per how Yui phrased it earlier in the book. They fall outside of it. Right, yeah, exactly. Free from the fire. So, like, I'm going to assume that was um, a misput in here by whoever authored this article. Uh, Yeah, I don't think they really... Again, like, just highlighting how different the encyclopedia is. And every now and then, you and I got to go in and, like, we're going to parse this a little bit and be like, that does seem odd. Same with, like, Idaho's backstory. I thought they just superimposed gurneys onto him. Pretty much. That was wrong. It's not infallible. That's just the point of it. Exactly. But either way, it's saying that Jameis, again, super great fighter, because I told you his father was awesome. Right. Jameis su- succeeded him in every facet. 
Um, you need to have like a graph of like dancing skills to fighting capacity. And how there's a strange correlation oh, between balance, strong balance and dexterity. And oh. like, yeah, I think it's dimensional. Yep. Um, and then this again touches on that major flaw that he has this sort of faulty self control. They always kind of hit back into this. Like that always. And I think it's just to emphasize like why Stilgar is in the position he is and why Jameis is in the position he is, mm. right? Now, uh, we do have CH records that have been translated. Uh, and this is super petty. And they list discretion, discretion. Blah, blah, blah. They list disciplinary action taken against Jameis for minor infractions of tribal practice, all seemingly motivated by anger and impatience. Just really? Like, damn. But we kept all those logs of like when Jameis was punished and had to go clean the latrines or something. <laughs> Um, so James evidently though, he did have the good fortune to work with Liet Kynes, like I said. So he was like right arm to arm or elbow to elbow with him out in the field, uh, probably on expeditions to go seek out soaks and sip wells. Okay. Remember what those are? Uh, they're like little uh, areas in the desert where there's water like near the surface. Yep. Either, uh, right on the surface or you got to dig down right. pretty far to get to it. Yep. The little pockets of water. Um, but that he, in all, in all probability, he also, um, uh, probably joined them to help goo, go get the spice bribes and keep the, like to the spice bribes to keep the skies of Arrak- Arrakis clear, which is obviously what he was on that night. Right. Right. When he left. And his greatest usefulness to the tribe lay in his superiority as a fighting man. As a raider, he was formidable. Stilgar, in his chronicles, pays tribute to Jameis' bravery and skill. So Stilgar has some books that we're actually referencing in this one. Stilgar's oh. Chronicles. He's a little bit of a writer, He's too. A writer too. He's got some time on his hands. Now, even though Stilgar once bested Jameis in a fight, Jameis did not hesitate to save Stilgar's life at Holenrock. This is a raid they were at together where Jameis saved okay. Stilgar, even though he had he did challenge Stilgar once, but Stilgar didn't kill him. Oh. Because again, he's so valuable as a friend, right. right? He's like, You're a shit leader, Jameis, but I need you because you're my right hand, bro. Now, Stilgar also speaks of Jameis sharing his water at the siege of two birds and his valiant sacrifice at Biting Cliff. These are just places all oh, over okay, Arrakis, okay, right? Okay. But at one point, he shared his water with a couple of other Fremen that had lost their supply. Either through, like, it leaked out through damage or they were just overstrenuated, right? And they ended up in a tough situation and they had to kind of hold out. Um, when a patrol pinned down a troop from Siech Tabar, Jameis went out and drew them off himself so that whole troop could make it back to Siech Tabar. Like, that's the kind of man this dude is. And then again, going to touch on that fury that kind of always cripples him it says on the other hand the fury that sustained him in battle also crippled him for stilgar further rights there's too much violence in Jameis for him to ever make a good leader too much gafla gafla we'll get to gafla later right um this exuberance however did not always work to his detriment it won him a magnificent fremen woman his wife hara now any idea where he met his wife hara mike you could just posit any fremen option they uh, they both stabbed the same corpse on the field. Like, <gasps> dude, that would be romantic. Right. <laughs> How about this? At the orgy together. He caught her eye. <laughs> Excuse me? Yep. During the orgy. Now, it doesn't say any more particulars. I don't know if they were with each other, if they saw each other across the room. Both can be very awkward. Nonetheless, the next day, Jameis calls out her husband because she's married. And this guy named Geoff, he's like, bro, I saw your wife. 
We need to do battle. So calling out is a big thing. Yes. It's very formal. And if you defeat someone, you gain all their possessions. Oh, shoot. Everything. Uh, so with like That's Stilgar. That's the Ganema. Yeah, exactly. That is the Ganema. Oh. And uh, so with Stilgar, one of his possessions is his title. Oh. That's why that gotcha. kind of all flows together. Um, <laughs> Hands over his wallet. Keys to his worm. No, you you just take him from his pockets. He's dead. What? Oh, oh, he's, oh that's he's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> I like how there's consent, and uh, so I leave now. And this is not my house. Okay. <laughs> no, Mike, that would be a mugging. <laughs> this is murder. <laughs> and so, Jameis again, he didn't lose. Geoff is a man much like Party. We will never meet in this book. Oh my god! And Jameis has a new wife. He uh, he doesn't win her, does he? That's- he has a new wife. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. He most certainly does. What does she have to say about this? She said, "Good job. That was a good fight. Uh, this is my son." And- what? <laughs> what? Yeah, was that okay? <clears throat> Hara speaks lovingly of Jameis in her memoirs. Everybody's writing books on Siet. Admitting that Jameis was quick to anger. She maintains that he was a tender lover and a good provider, bringing her many water rings after sorties against Hardikinian patrols. Water ring? Yeah, that's how it's basically water is their currency. Water rings is going to be basically like your uh, unit of measurement. Exactly. It's counting how much water you have oh, rights to. Water dollars. Yeah. A lot of rings. It's like fun bucks. Yep. The and edges. they're basically, they're different size, different width, different thing. And they okay. basically correlate to like leader johns and various forms of it. Okay. okay. Uh, Fremen women will weave them into their hair. Uh, oh, and then shoot. They also, I think, make a necklace out of it. And then they have a really cool way, Mike, because like you take your water rings with you. They have a way that you weave the cloth through it. So your water rings don't make a sound while they're in your pack. So Hara continues and says that Jameis loved her children. Caliph, Geoff's son, and Orlop, their own son, and that he made no distinction between the two and accorded the same devotion to their upbringing. Okay. That's pretty, that's okay. pretty solid, right? So yeah. he did kill a kid's dad. Sorry, I was going to say, sorry, I killed but, your dad, but, son. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but son, eh? New dad? <laughs> Jesus. It's a Great t- mother. It's a tough life. Oh my gosh. Um, he taught his sons the rules of water discipline and the Fremen ways of fighting. Then he proudly gave them, as his father before him, their Christmas when their time of initiation came. So even for little Caliph, like, Seamus gave him his Christmas when he came of age. Because, like, that was his kid. No doubt. And, like, you also, you don't disparage. Fremen culture is something that I, it's going to take me a thing to get used to it. I believe. Yeah, yeah, you're second thinking, picking up a Fremen wife. <laughs> oh, because then another Fremen might kill me? Yeesh. So wait, uh, it's not like a chauvinistic thing. Like, any Fremen can call out another Fremen. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yep. So if a uh, if a female Fremen said, like, hey, fuck you, kills another uh, married female Fremen, it's just like, hey, your husband's mine now. That's the thing. Oh, Mike. Just wondering if it goes both ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm, hmm. That is really tough. Uh, we do get to a point where uh, there's this one Fremen who uh, his, his wife is so badass that like people come to challenge him and she basically stands in the doorway and is like, you want to fucking go? 
And like, <laughs> most me? of them oh. turn and go back. And like, she ends up telling her husband of this. And he's just like, he's like, you shouldn't do that. Like, let them come to me. And she's like, you're busy. Um, Cause she is like dedicated to her man. And it's you're really busy great. in your mind. <laughs> so like, I don't know. I want to say no. But at the same time, I want to say yes. Oh, this is I'm weird. Gonna say, you know, Mike, I haven't had any reason to say no, so I'm going to say yes. You're just going to go ahead and say it on behalf? I'm just like, I have no reason to I think not. I guess until we find anything that says differently in the text. Which you won't. <laughs> which you <laughs> Frank did not entertain that possibility. Maybe you should have. I agree. <laughs> Maybe you should Mike, give people names. Wait, wait. We're on the same side here. We are. We think the women should be named and should have more say. Yes. I just want to play devil's advocate no, here. Like, no, what the hell? Yeah, I think a wife could go steal a husband. I think it's. I think it's. Yeah. Real. Yeah. I don't think a wife can have multiple husbands though, whereas the husband can have multiple wives. Oh. That I think is a little. Uh, I don't even know the word. I'm way too far into this wine at this point. Yeah. I was going to say chauvinistic, but I'm just repeating what you said. Yeah. That's not what I want to mean. <laughs> anyway, carrying on. Um, that's a great little detour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, As an important member of Sietch Tabar, we are still talking about Jameis. Jameis was logically numbered among the troop sent into the desert by Liet Kine's distrans message to seek the strangers, Paul Atreides and Jessica, much like Cheney, daughter of Kine's. Yeah. So now with both these backstories, we've touched on how each of them were individually kind of selected of like, hmm. you need to be in this band for this and this reason. When the troop came upon them at Tiono Basin, Jameis was distrustful of the Outworlders and urged Stilgar to do his tribal duty to eliminate those not trained to live within the desert. So you see where he's coming. He's wrong about They're going to die anyways, so they might as well. Let al- no, no, no. Even more so. What did Stilgar say is the catch? Of like, one person can bring destruction on the whole tribe. True. That is, like, yeah. If, well, either one of you holding us back could be what, like, dooms us all. Right. Stilgar, yeah. do your job. You're here for the tribe's security and the tribe's water. That's where Jameis was coming from when he said that. From okay. Okay. Right? Now, although he agreed with Jameis uh, regarding Jessica, Stilgar saw value in Paul. Possibility was a term he used in his journal. Oh. Good Fremen word there. All these Fremen keep journals. This is great. <laughs> Everybody's got books. Um, then uh, I obviously can't continue on with Jameis's article. I brought us up to the present. Oh. I can yeah. jump forward, though. I wanted to pull out the last uh, paragraph here. The records of various sketches attest to James's value to the Fremen society and his embodiment of the best Fremen qualities, strength, superb fighting ability, desert wisdom, tribal loyalty, and dedication to Fremen dreams and ideals. Now, I believe the first stanza of Dirge for James on the funeral plane was, do you wrestle with dreams? Oh, I love that, Mike. Uh, very cool. But, yeah, no, interesting. Uh, I'm going to keep this dirge in mind as we go forward. You should. I know he's going to die. <laughs> like, that's, that's already been set in stone. I know. we got a dirge. I hope it's, like, the last chapter. And for the next, like, f- you know, 20 chapters, you're just, every time, I got the dirge right here, dirge. He died in his sleep at the age of 90-something. At the age of 80. The war had ended. His grandchildren mourned him peacefully. <laughs> Um, they named the Sietch after him. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I got uh, our little references here. 
We're going to be pulling from Hara, Memoirs of, of a CH oh. Woman. So that's his wife. And it was translated by Stiwan du, Dulanza. Okay. Good space name. Yeah. Uh, we also have Princess Irulan. She wrote us in songs of Moadib. And that's going to be the dirge that you have mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have, uh, you ready for this? Yeah. <clears throat> Stilgar, Ben, Fif- Oh, damn, I fucked it up. <laughs> Fif- uh, Stilgar, Ben, Fifrari. It's F-I-F-R-A-W-I. Fifrari? Fifrari. I'm not really sure how to pronounce it. It sounds very Italian. You do well, you just <laughs> Sorry, that's very my bad. That's yeah. my bad. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> he wrote the Stilgar Chronicles as uh, translated by Mitao Wulaud. We're just going to skip that. Uh, Arrakis Studies, number five. Okay. Yeah, that was a space name I'm not even going to try. <laughs> can, I, can I see it? Um, or is this reveal too much? No, no, no. It's a fucking weird space name. I can't move this over to you, but oh, okay. oh, let me spell it out. Uh, his first name is M-I-T-Y-A-U. Mi- okay, I can't, I can't, I can't visualize it. Yeah. Sorry. Okay, you're the hard. Next yeah. one's going to be yeah, yeah. harder. We'll go, uh, I think I got this. Gulador. G-W-U. I'm saying Gwu. And then L-A-D-O-R. Sounds right. I yeah, Gulador. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's tough. GWU is a tough one to just oh, jump yeah. into with like an Anglo-Saxon <laughs> basis. Like, we don't do that. The English do. When you like pronounce a, it, it looks like you're about to be sick. Yeah, yeah. I like, I like rock forward with it. Like it moves my whole body. Yeah. Of, uh, this word just can't come out. Um, <laughs> that's all I got. End of deep dive. Okay. Well done, Derek. Thank well you. Well done. Um, Oh, we we had a long chapter. I think we spent a lot of time. We had some good times. But we had some long times. <laughs> I've got a gurning quote for you. All right, uh, Mike. It's uh, everyone's favorite you? moment. Dun dun dun. Gurney, 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 gurney. Um, you know this game. I know this game. Every week, I bring you three different gurneys and mm-hmm. one quote. Derek, I need your help to tell me which gurney wore it best. And I would love to do nothing but. We have Gurney Halleck, Troubadour Warrior, formerly of the Atreides. God bless him. James Gurney, famed author and artist of Dinotopia, responsible for painting all of Dinotopia. He paints? Yeah! <laughs> I'm just going to cut you off right there. Ira Gurney, English war poet and composer. Mm. And he traveled the French countryside. Yeah, he did. He's a wonderful man. So I got a little excerpt here. You'll enjoy this. So I've done some long ones. I've done some short ones. I find that the short ones are more interesting because longer I go, the more clues I think I give you in terms of format and stanza and rhyming schemes. Thank you. That was how I broke down. And last I realized one. this. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta be a little bit like more succinct. Okay. And I, gotta, I gotta explain less when I tell you how I get to the answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or I, I should start lying to you. I guess is what I should do. All right. So what we got here. Give more, take less, others first, self last, observe, listen, and learn. Oh, that's all? Ooh, that's all you get. Oh, my God. All right. Ooh, Mike, um, I got, like, a gurney sense. And, like, I feel like I have to leap at what, like, tingles first. And oh, that one. It's like a spider sense kind of deal. Yeah. Yeah, but this is more like a dino sense. Okay. Oh, <gasps> I'm a James I'm, Gurney. I'm walking. I'm walking James. I'm just like, I'm like, like oh, oh, boy. That's, that's James. That's James. James now, Gurney. it feels, I mean, your preamble, that could have been to throw me off. All right, all right. Sorry, sorry. That sorry, doesn't sorry. seem like the balance of a Gurney song. Okay. 
That seems like... Oh, uh, sorry. Gurney quotes. These are not necessarily all songs. You come on, see, come on, see. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say what I'm going to say. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, I just feel like that ultimately was you reading that like a poem. But what would be straight dialogue from goddamn Dinotopia oh. is what I feel like. I feel like that's just someone talking to someone right, else. Right, right, right. Oh, and that's you, a good point. You've dressed it up for me a little bit, and I almost bought into it. But it just seemed very progressive in a linear sense that I feel like it was uh, dictative. Mm. Um, so I'm going to drop off. It doesn't have the artistry of Ivor Gurney. Whoopah! And it doesn't have the, it's King James Bible-ness of uh, normal Gurney. So log me in, James Gurney, master painter, writer of Dinotopia. Well, Derek, uh, well done. It is yeah! James Gurney. Now, follow-up question, Mike. You yeah. said I couldn't count on this, but did a dinosaur say it? I can't tell you. Oh, I don't know for sure. But I will tell you this. It's part of a larger poem. I already told you a part of this poem earlier. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I, I did not pick up on that. Yeah, so you're right. It is James Gurney from Dinotopia. Give more, take less. Others for yourself last. It's part of a bigger poem. And the first part of it I showed you earlier Survival of all or none, one raindrop raises the sea. Weapons are enemies even to their owners. Wow. That's the like, first part. So that first one, I was not nearly... I yeah. remember guessing that right. Uh, but I like, think you got that one wrong, actually. Oh, really? Oh, was that not like the very first one we did? Oh, maybe you did get it right. I thought I got the first James... Like, I thought there was one James Gurney. I don't think we've had one No, since. I think you got it wrong, actually. Well, fuck me. <laughs> Either case, uh, that first one, though, I do recall thinking very so much more Gurney Halleck mm. than that second part of it. Right. That raindrop raises the ocean. Just seems like yeah. something. He, it's so poetic almost in its uh, inclination. I think it's just the sea as well is what got you. It's the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of those Gurney songs. Again, right. to, like contrast to Arrakis and Dune, he references the seas of Caladan. Mm. Uh, very, very cool. That's the wise use. That is a good Gurney quote, It's Mike. a pretty good Gurney quote. And hey, congrats on you. You've got a, you. you've really honed in on these gurneys. I might have to shuffle some gurneys around. It's because you were swapping. I've, I got these three down. These are like. I think you got them. This is like the Napoleon of gurney flavors. Uh, <laughs> I can tell all three of these distinctly. <laughs> all right. So, Derek, mm-hmm. we've been traveling across this wide open desert. Mm-hmm. It's hard. You need to be a professional Fremen or maybe a professional multi-sport athlete. That sounds like a gurney to me. That sounds like one Stephen Bruce gurney. <laughs> Stephen, man, I was really expecting that to go like Brewski or something for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. But can, you, can you guess where uh, Steve Gurney's from? Uh, Stephen Bruce gurney. Um, ooh, so is it going to be? A, are you, am I counting like a state or am I going like country? Oh, uh, we'll say country. Country. Oh, okay. So it's not U.S. Oh. I don't think it is. Stephen Bruce Gurney. Damn, that's so Anglo, though. You know what? We're going to switch it up. We're going to head for England, and then we're going to turn sharply and go to Scotland. Now, I guess New it's- Zealand. Damn it. New Zealand Gurney. New Zealand Gurney. <laughs> I'm in it to win it. He's a multi-sport and triathlon athlete. Ooh, that's awesome. Yeah, born in 1963. Up until 1994, he was a professional multi-sport and triathlon athlete. From there, he moved into what is known as adventure racing. Have you ever met a triathlon athlete? No, I haven't, actually. My uh, ex-girl from California, her dad did, like, the uh, Iron Man in, the, oh. in Death Valley. Yeah. Fucking super intimidating guy. <laughs> I bet. It's the worst. <laughs> I'm a very scrawny little man. <laughs> I'm Mr. Death Valley Man, sir. Yeah. 
It's fucking so big. Carry on. Just want to share my weak moments in my life. Uh, do you know what adventure racing is? Um, no, no, not at all. I, th- I figured it'd be worth sharing. Typically, it's a multidisciplinary team sport that involves navigation over an unmarked wilderness course, with races extending anywhere from two hours up to two weeks in length. Okay, pretty big uh, gap there. But uh, and there are some solo competitions as well. The principal disciplines within adventure racing, and the reason I call them principal disciplines, you know how. Triathlon has swimming, biking, and running. Mm-hmm. Uh, adventure racing says anything fucking goes, but let's take the most intense things and throw them in there as like staples. Uh, they include trekking, mountain biking, paddling. Those are sort of the big ones, although races can also incorporate a multitude of other disciplines, including but not limited to climbing and rappelling, horse riding, skiing, and whitewater rafting. That's imagine a two week race where you've got like three to five other people on your team. It's so just like, we got to go. Are there, is it like a tandem kind of thing? Are they all no, going all at once? So what's the team part of it? I mean, do you just all have to make it. Oh, maybe it isn't. Maybe it is sometimes tandem. I didn't actually look at that. That's my okay. fault. That's all right. Um, I, I like that sounds really extreme yeah. though of just like choosing the most like yeah, yeah. <laughs> intense course you can and like throwing all these different forms in it. Oh man, what do you think a dune uh, adventure race would be like? Worm riding, well, no, racing. It'd be a dune trekking. No, it'd be a thopter race. Uh, you crash down on a ridge. You have to run along the ridge run from the worm. No, 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 you're on the rock still. Oh, okay, Hold okay. your horses, Mike. Oh, oh. You climb up through the basin. You got to go through the narrow rocks. That's your rock climbing expedition. Uh, okay. You got to go down 300 meters through like sheer face, right? You Ooh. get down to the sand. Once you're on the sand, you got to run all the way to see it to bar. It's a 12 <laughs> kilometer race in the height of day. You don't Shalud's stop. coming, baby. Get going. <laughs> and just for kicks, we turn a fucking thumper on. <laughs> Or you go with a shield. I don't know. I'm new to this. <laughs> we wouldn't do a shield. We're not trying to actually kill our participants. No, but we're trying to be extreme. <laughs> this, Mike, this is dude, it's naked, extreme. naked and afraid on Arrakis. Imagine two men, two shield belts. Oh they run in opposite God. directions. Whoever the worm chases loses. Oh, my God. It's uh, funny that you should mention Naked and Afraid, Derek. Steve brought increased exposure to the races. Um, excuse me. Can we call him Gurney? Sorry. Steve Bruce Steve Gurney. Gurney brought increased exposure to the race by surprising the nation and becoming the first nudist on New Zealand Breakfast TV. He represented New Zealand at the Mountain Bike World Championships twice, and he also starred in the New Zealand TV shows Clash of the Codes, and you'll, James will Wait, love this. Wait, all while nude? No, not all while nude. Okay, that started <laughs> with the nudist, and I thought that carried through to all his activities. Yeah, I don't think he did this all while nude. I don't think he if did. he did. So, well, the first the first show was Clash of the Coats, and the second one was Dancing with the Stars. So I don't think he did that one nude. Whoa, whoa, wait, whoa, wait. I'm sorry. When when is this gurney? Uh, he's a pretty uh, modern gurney. Yeah, you hit Dancing with the Stars. I would hope so. Yeah, I mean, he's only like sixty years old ish. Right now? Yeah, like 57 years old. Wait, wait. We can get this gurney on the phone right now? Yeah. Okay. You want to call up a gurney? I want you to email this gurney. Well, I can, because he's got a a great website we can visit here in a little bit. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) I haven't had a gurney, like, come so close to the present now. I feel like it's- We're only one degree away from this gurney, and it's it's internet. It's blowing my mind. 
Every other gurney's long dead and has changed the world. <laughs> He's competed in a multitude of races, uh, some of which include the Spites Coast to Coast and the Southern Traverse in New Zealand. And uh, internationally, he's competed in race events such as uh, Raid... Oh, bad word. <laughs> Galoises? Galoises? Raid Galoises, I'll say. Uh, Eco Challenge and Extreme Games. Uh, he won the Coast to Coast a record nine times, more than any other person. This was in 1990 year i was born hey 91 97 and 98 through 2003 which leads me to wonder what the hell was he doing for six years because <laughs> he clearly he could, he could win the competition well, for, so it came. was from 97 to 2003 he just kept winning so i think from 91 to 97 those six years he just trained and the next six years it's just it started wearing off it started wearing off <laughs> That's how it works. Yeah, that's yes. how it works, right? Yeah. <laughs> but in 1994, after two of these coast-to-coast wins, mm-hmm. he suffered a severe leptospirosis infection. Oh, oh, wait. So this is what he was doing. For- yeah, it's rough. Caught from bat dung in the Mulu Caves <gasps> whilst racing Geofani. in Sarawak jungles in Malaysia. Oh, very nearly cost him his life with respiratory and renal failure. Dude, Gurney's got it all going. Gurney is intense. I'm glad you brought it back to the other Gurney. Thank right? you. I appreciate that. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, what was it? his name? Was Sir Edmund? No, no. Sir Edmund was the magician. No, 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 no. The psychic. Oh, uh, it was a long one. Your Malaysian Gurney. Yeah, it was a long Gurney. It was uh, Sir Henry Lovell Goldsworthy Gurney. Goldsworthy <laughs> Gurney. Yes. I think he put that name in there. <laughs> Goldsworthy, if you got Goldsworthy, it. Goldsworthy, <laughs> the fantastic, unforgettable hat. Okay, okay. But back to yeah. back to our current gurney. But back to our current gurney. Steve Bruce Gurney. Steve Bruce Gurney. So the Steve SBG. Gurney. Yeah. So Steve Gurney, he caught this infection from bat dung in Mulu Caves while racing in the jungles of Malaysia. As one does. Almost cost him his life. As one does. Yeah. Uh, his determination and patience allowed him to fight back to full fitness, and seven of his coast-to-coast wins came immediately after this infection. Okay. That answers my question. Yeah. In full and almost to too much detail. Maybe the secrets in the bat tongue. Shit. Oh, literally. Just literally. Ah, well, seal, guano. Sealago whispered to him. Is that, why Gio, a, is that why Giovanni's been pooping everywhere? <laughs> the, the Derek, don't get ideas. Okay. All right. I just think I could be faster. But what's interesting, he was not only very fit fighting trim for these races, he was also well-educated. During his racing career, Steve Gurney heavily used his engineering degree and experience to push at the edges of the rules and possibilities to give himself and his teams a winning edge, inventing items such as the bike pod, improved kayak seats, and anti-chafing solutions, and more, or just a little (laughs) bit of edge in the competition. Wait, wait, wait. We're going to back up to anti-chafing solutions? Oh, yeah. What? What about them? That is just hilarious. Yeah. So everyone else is chafing. His big up is just like, I don't got a rash. Some of these races are like 200 miles. No, yeah, they will yeah. grind your nipples off of your oh, body. It's wild. That's why you need gurney goo. <laughs> Ew. Okay. <laughs> nope. No questions. Mm, let me, uh, so I guess that's how we're going to get in contact with him uh, on his website. While gurney goo was originally formulated. Wait, hold on. Back it up. <laughs> I thought you were making a gross joke. <laughs> gurney goo is the real thing. <laughs> it's the product. 
Gurney. While Gurney was originally formulated to assist with the rigors of endurance racing, its applications have certainly evolved. I mean, it goes on your balls, right? Is that where you <laughs> probably, for just head to toe, you probably slick up on Gurney Goo. <laughs> The trick is to dip yourself in the gurney gear. So you go downhill, you just slide penguin style. God, gurney. It's now extensively applied in any sport and actively where participants are prone to chafing or blistering, including running, kayaking, surfing, tennis, football, walking, hiking, dancing, skiing, boarding, etc. I don't know why they didn't include the etc. sooner, because that's a pretty big random list. You know what the weirdest one for me on that list was? Was walking. <laughs> <laughs> be like, okay. like, ooh, ooh, this is a rough walk. Ooh, I feel the burn. I need some gurney yeah, gear. Yeah, no. It uses tea tree oils that has antibacterial, antimicrobial, and fungal properties. And this, along with the protective barrier formed by the ointment, makes this a great option for assisting in the healing of injuries like cuts, abrasions, rashes, blisters, covering new tattoos, and assisting in the repelling of ticks and leeches. I feel like that was in the jungles that he really learned that one. Oh, weird. I think he got a tattoo at some point. Yeah, that probably that too. I think all of that, these were... That felt very specific. The, these are very the, specific. The other two were all... Ab- the other, All the other ones were like, you would get this in the course of doing the activity. Repelling of ticks and leeches, I think also like... In the course of yeah, doing oh, the yeah, activity. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, the tattoo is the only one among that, those that's, that's part like, of the race, actually. <laughs> getting a tattoo. <laughs> Get a tattoo. Fucking extreme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fucking extreme. <laughs> Love it. The tattoo is just like 2007 participants of Coast to Coast. Just get like a little tramp stamp and then you keep going. So whether you are preventative or curative topical treatment, the answer is clear. It's Gurney Goo. (laughs) Is it still for sale? Yeah. Dude, I went to their website. You can get uh, one third ounce little uh, bottles or three ounce bottles. I'm, I can get whatever you want to get, but get some Gurney Goop, Mike. That's all I'm going to tell you. Gurney Goo. Thank you, not Goop. Oh, oh Gurney Goop. Goop TM, Gwyneth Feltro. <laughs> Gurney Goo. Gurney Goo. But yeah, in 2004, Gurney was appointed a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit for Services of Endurance Sport. Something they give out to both military and civilian people just for, you know, just being fucking awesome. For not chafing, man. Pretty much. Well, yeah. I mean... Nine championships. This guy set records. This guy was... Wait, and so he solved the chafing problem within the last 10 years? Yeah. That's weird. But only in New Zealand. Oh, oh, that's fair. Yeah. They, I've heard. Shipping's expensive. I've I've heard things. (laughs) You owe. No. But uh, all good gurneys come to an end though, Derek. (laughs) Whoa, no, you said he was alive. (laughs) And in 2007, he announced his retirement. <laughs> okay, but he's still selling Gurney Yeah, he's still alive selling Gurney Goo. Okay. Um, he you know what the- he's getting ready for, Mike? He's getting ready for his comeback. He's getting ready. Well, he's six more years of training. Back to the gym, back to training. <laughs> oh, man. He retired from the sport due to a two year fight with an ankle injury. He said that he was disappointed that he could not win the 10th Coast to Coast title and that he also finished in his last competitive race in second place. Oh. Gold or nothing, apparently. Man. Yeah, but that does kind of suck that you didn't get that 10. That would have been pretty cool. That would, but you know what? That's just a circle of life. You know, yeah. there's, there's nothing wrong with someone being better than you. What were what ankle issues does he have? Oh, I mean, he probably just sprained it one too many times. Oh, okay. Dude. I'm sorry. I thought you were saying it was something that was, like, mentioned. No, 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 no. Yeah. But now he uh, presently presents motivational talks, develops new sports-related products, and undertakes unique challenges around the world. What are the... Uh, I would love if you could find me the the... 
other acts he says he does? The thing you just read before. Oh, oh, uh, yeah, it takes uh, unique challenges around the world. Unique challenges? Do you know what any of those are? No, I don't oh, yeah. actually. Mike, I if you, find you, if you can give me one follow-up, or I will try to I'll, make I'll it. try and look for it. But uh, uh, A unique he challenge. He does it with other adventure racers. Because I imagine he just isn't up for doing the whole thing anymore. Probably not, exactly. But, like, but like he's probably he's, still a tough guy. He's still Again, built. I met my girlfriend's <laughs> dad. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't doing them still, but holy shit. <laughs> open you up like a fortune cookie. <laughs> I, I just assumed he was. But he currently, uh, as part of the Madway South team, Steve holds two world records. Okay, M. Steve Gurney holds two records. Steve Gurney holds two records. I'm sorry. You really need that Gurney. I do. Otherwise, it's just Steve. (laughs) Steve Bruce, SBG. (laughs) So the two records he holds, the first crossing of the Sahara Desert by wind power alone. Props. He doesn't doesn't do desert power. He does wind power. That's a thopter. That's a thopter. I like it. So, uh, I guess, like a sand sail kind of thing? Oh, I have no fucking real idea. (laughs) I mean, I imagine it's got to be something along those lines. Or a glider, or... I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, that's cool, though. But wind yeah. power alone. First crossing of the Sahara Desert by wind power alone. Wild. And the longest... Maybe this is related. <laughs> the longest kite buggy at 2,160 kilometers. That does what? seem uncanny if it would be <laughs> not related. A kite buggy. It, was all, it was part of so, the same team that happened. Dude, that just sounds... Is that... I mean, all I imagine is a car with a giant kite... I do what it. is a kite buggy? In I, all honesty, again, I've described my full uh, intellect and just um, building this up in my head. I think it's a big car with like some sort of kite that's on like probably like three different uh, cables, so you can like turn it. Left oh, or right. I know what it is. What is it? Have you ever seen like those uh, pretty low uh, profiles? But it's basically like a trike, big uh, wheels, and you basically have like a parachute attached to it. Do you have a picture right yeah, yeah, there? Yeah. If you can show me a. Uh... Okay, so that sort of looks like parasailing. It is, but, but it's with on a, like a, with a buggy, a tricycle, basically. Okay, so that's pretty close to what I was imagining. That's amazing. So with wind power alone, so those are definitely related. He went across the entire Sahara Desert with nothing but that. I'm jealous. That's wild. That's really cool. That's what the Fremen should do. <laughs> I mean, that is a worm collar if there ever was I mean, was pretty one. much. I bet, you know what? I bet Steve Gurney could ride a worm. Easy. That's just his next challenge. He'd try it. Yeah, and Gurney Goo will prevent any chafing from worms. Sure. That's Which the is con- a sentence that's I never con- thought I would utter. That's the concern. <laughs> is your worm chafing? We've got the gurney goo for you. <laughs> Worm's like, oh, oh. <laughs> it's so slick. Close the folds. <laughs> oh, God, it's in there. That's wild to think about. I like that. I like that. Wow, can you imagine 2,160 kilometers and nothing but that? Oh, I don't know what you do for the day, but <laughs> it looks like it'd be fun to ride for an hour. <laughs> So, during this journey, though, he experienced a high-speed... Wait, mm, I don't think it's this specific journey. During his journey, he experienced a high-speed crash at the time a local hospital reported no broken bones, and he continued the journey, despite being in significant pain. Oh, I think this was across the Sahara. On returning to New Zealand and completing new scans, he discovered he had four facial fractures, a six-centimeter piece broken from a scapula... A badly torn rotator cuff and a damaged eardrum. 
what doctor did the guy just like <laughs> eyeball him? I don't see any. Bones. I think he just paid off the doc- doctor. Like I still got a race. Like just give me the green light. I like that. Yeah. Uh, and he's God, I forget this is also like 10 years. Like, I want to roll this out to like 1950s. Like, yeah, you can tell a doctor anything. I'm sure they'd be down. Like, no, this is like 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, he's since fully recovered from all injuries. Good for him. It's Good. just the ankle. That's, that's the only thing. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Great mother. <laughs> and let's see here. I think that's... Uh, that's my bonus gurney for you, Steve what? Gurney. Steve Bruce Gurney. Steve Bruce Gurney. What's our uh, what's our little moniker for him? A little alliteration. Gurney goo. Gurney. I mean, gurney goo is gonna stick. Uh, <laughs> no, the point is uh, that it doesn't. It doesn't stick. I just keep calling him SBG. SBG. Uh, <laughs> just got that feel to him. I keep it just drop these three letters, but uh, yeah, same same with Bruce Gurney. I love it. It's really good stuff. Yeah, it was a great gurney. An extreme gurney. Well, that's pretty much all we got. I don't know if you have anything else packed up your sleeve, nah, but not, not at all. Does anyone have a question for us? Do you guys uh, perhaps know a wine we could afford? Uh, let us know. We're at Spice World Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can always reach us by distrans at spiceworldpod at gmail dot com. And of course, there's our website at spiceworldpod.com. And if you're looking for a way to support the show, come join us at our little sketch over at patreon.com slash spiceworldpod. Yeah. That's where you can find all of our exclusive bonus between two dunes episodes, like Ampolaros. And the Highliners and of the Guild. Highliners, which we learned some really interesting facts I didn't know about. I thought that was really cool. That's some pretty cool ones. And then you guys can become a Spice Worlder yourself. We got a, we got a big CH growing. Oh, Derek, you know what I'm going to ask you. Uh, oh, do you have a you have a question? I'm yeah, sorry. Tell uh, me. What's my little snippet? What's my little teaser? Oh, Mike. It's short. It's sweet. But it's to the point. You ready? It must be done now and swiftly, Jessica thought. She compressed ultimate scorn into her voice and manner, said, Well now, how does it feel to be a killer? What? That's all I got, Mike. Jeez. Okay, I have no idea what the context is now. Kind of the point. Well, yeah, it hits you hard, right? (laughs) Whoa. I was really happy with that one. Jeez. Okay, yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, that's what we're going into. I'm excited for that. Any thoughts? Um, me. I don't think she just got to training weirding way right away. Maybe someone attempted to kill him. No, I don't think so. Oh, I don't know. It's sort of like we could do a time leap. We could do anything at this point. Harkonnen show up. Sardaukar could be there. Like, I have no idea. We're at a really cool Does point. Does Paul kill someone? I mean, Mike, come on. We're at a point, though, where... All the pieces are on the table. Everybody is here now. Oh. Yeah. I have no idea. Well, I think it leaves us at only uh, one place we can go to, Mike. Until next time. The spice must flow. I just can only process one thought at the moment. Yeah, (laughs) no, we're going. That whiskey was a bad idea. (laughs) I just realized that. Well, uh, it's a a good idea. (laughs) Executed poorly. Oh, oh, Josh would be proud. (laughs) (laughs) You just brought me back to like 2008. (laughs) I'm just like, whoa! (laughs) That piece of paper hung up for so long. Props there. This is a good day. I don't know if it's a good episode, but it's a great day. It's a great day. (laughs)